Good evening, and welcome to the May 28, 2019 Astoria Traffic Safety Advisory Committee. Could we have roll call, please? Mr. Morgan. Here. Here. this evening and from the city we have city engineer Cindy Moore and from the Australia Police Department we have Sergeant Brian May. <coughs> Has everyone had a chance to look over the minutes from the January 29th meeting? Are there any corrections or amendments? We have Seems like uptick uh, on the number of patrols that I've seen uh, in the area of 20th and Irving where I live. Uh, I think it's made a big difference on the speeders, which has gotten really bad recently. Uh, so, like I said, I've come here several times over the years, and mostly uh, this is a whole new, whole new different committee. But committees in the past mostly dismissed concerns. Funny, it was all, all in my head that. 30 or 40 speeders going past it, and 35 on my street was not an issue because of the uh, basic speed law in the state and, uh, and so on. And uh, one of the former mayors, not the most recent one, poo pooed any kind of uh, traffic enforcement because he didn't want us to have a uh, uh, reputation like Gerhard or Klapskai. Anyway, I just, again, I want to thank the police, and I hope that this is not a temporary thing, that it's a rotational thing. That that you continue to do those often patrols on Irving because it really is making a difference. And I've got a second thing I'd like to Mr. Fitzpatrick, can staff provide a response to Mr. White's uh, comments on that one? I was going to ask if someone from the Austria PD or the city would like to comment. Sure. Uh, just to <laughs> clarify, Mr. White, this group does not have any jurisdiction over the Astoria Police Department oh, or their, their enforcement. So, so any of that would be uh, through the Astoria Police Department uh, um, management and through through the staff. And right, so right. Uh, I just want to make sure that it's clear that, that this 
OSCURE group does not have any specific jurisdiction in terms of providing additional police enforcement. Yeah, I, I realize that. That's why I wanted to thank. Okay, Robert great, Street. great. Uh, if I can address one more thing real quickly, I know you have other business. Sure. You want me to start over again? State my name? <laughs> okay. Uh, there's a movement in Oregon, Washington, and California to go to the full year daylight savings time. And I think it's just a traffic safety issue. Uh, those of you that are old enough to remember Jimmy Carter's presidency in 1979, there was a second oil it wasn't an embargo, but it was a crisis that had to do with the Iranian Revolution. During that time, the Carter administration had daylight savings time go clear to the end of the year, and it resulted in multiple deaths of school-age children that were out waiting for their, for their school buses. I think it's very short-sighted for the state uh, to go daylight savings time year-round. It's going to be depressing to have it dark at 9 o'clock in the morning every morning for months. And I think it's a real safety issue for, for children. I don't know what you can do about it. Maybe think about it and convince the city council to maybe make a, a statement uh, against it. I don't know. But anyway, that's all I have. Thank you, Mr. White. And I would say that we really don't have any control no. over that. But it's great that you were able to come up and but speak it is publicly a safety about it. It is a safety and traffic safety issue. Thank you. Okay, staff or status reports. Um, we just kind of just to tie on to your speaker's comments about the extra patrols up there. We do try and do the extra patrols up there. Currently, we have our it's further down the road from him. We do have our speed board up that's monitoring speeds, and we're trying to get an idea of the. Times or the high, the high period times for speeds, um, so that we can maybe make some adjustments to our our patrol times up there and put people up there specifically when they are going. So we're gathering some information on that. And it tends to be in the morning right now where we're seeing those issues. So we'll continue to work with that. Great. Thank you, Sergeant Lee. Okay. Save the date. The next traffic safety advisory committee meeting is scheduled for Tuesday, July twenty third. 2019. Do we have any other business for traffic safety? We are adjourned for traffic safety at 636 and we will now call to order the May 28, 2019 Astoria Planning Commission again at 637. Do we have a roll call please? Planner Johnson. Okay. Commissioner Womack. Here. Commissioner Moore. Here. Commissioner Commissioner Price? Here. Commissioner Cochran? Here. And President Fitzpatrick? Here. And I would note for the record that we have Rosemary Johnson as our special projects planner in attendance. Blair Henningsgaard is the city attorney. Mike Morgan is the planner. And Brad Estes, our city manager, here, presumably in his role as community development director. Okay. Has everyone had a chance to look over the April 23rd, 2019 minutes? And has anyone uh, any corrections or changes that they'd like to make? I have one comment. On page 13, uh, I'm referenced at saying something, and if anyone else wants to claim that paragraph, 
because maybe you said it. You feel free to. I don't recall saying it, but I'm not saying. Which paragraph? Sure. Yeah. Guess um, the one that says starts out. Uh, let's see the fourth paragraph. I may have said it, but if someone else wanted to claim it, feel free. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> we have a motion. Commissioner Womack, would you like to make a motion? Uh, I uh, move to approve the uh, minutes uh, from May 28th. No, April 23rd. April 23rd. April 23rd. April 23rd. Great. All those in favor? Aye. Oh, sorry. Second. Thank you, Commissioner Hunter, for seconding. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carried. The Astoria Planning Commission will handle a permit request tonight with a public hearing. The order I'm going to follow for the public hearing is outlined in the handout called Procedures for Conduct of Public Hearings Available from Staff. Scheduled public hearings are itemized on the agenda. In each case, I will identify the subject announce when the public hearing is open, and ask anyone interested to testify regarding the matter. If you wish to speak, please be sure to sign the hearing sign-in sheet located on the side table. You should address your remarks to whether or not the application in question meets the necessary criteria. The significant criteria that apply to each issue are listed in the staff report, which staff has available. If you fail to raise an issue in person or by letter to the Australia Planning Commission or City Council, an appeal of that issue would not be permitted. The first public hearing is a, condi it's a conditional use request CU19-04 by Stewardship Homes LLC to locate a five-room short-term lodging facility in an existing apartment building at 641 Commercial Street in the C4 Central Commercial Zone. Does anyone object to the jurisdiction of the Astoria Planning Commission to hear this matter at this time? Does any member of the Planning Commission feel he or she has a conflict of interest or any ex parte contacts to declare? I would declare that I own Rebels in Astoria, but I do not believe that it would be a conflict, and I believe that I can be impartial. Thank you. We have a presentation of the staff report and recommendation. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, this is uh, conditional use request uh, by stewardship homes uh, to locate a five-room short-term lodging facility in existing apartment building at five, uh, 641 uh, Commercial Street in the uh, Seaport Central Commercial Zone. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Commissioner Morgan, my hearing aids might not be working very well tonight, but did you say 641 or 541? It's, it's 541 on the staff report. Should be, it should be 641. Thank you. Our, our sheet shows 641. Yeah. Um, the uh, two-story building is currently occupied by four uh, long-term tenants. One unit appears to be vacant. Um, the 5,000 square foot lot contains a small yard in the rear adjacent to the Classic County Jail and a covered parking area with two off-street parking spaces. The building faces the city park at 6th and commercial. Yeah. Uh, the, name, the building is, is adjacent to the jail, as I mentioned, the Baptist Church to the east, an apartment building to the west, and the park playground 
uh, general areas, a mixed-use area with state court facilities, several county buildings and parking lots, single-family dwellings and offices, commercial. This is a two-lane, two-way street with parking on both sides and sidewalks. Um, the applicant is proposing to locate an Airbnb-style short-term lodging facility with five units. It would not have an on-site manager or resident manager. Reservations would be taken on the web. Cleaning and maintenance would be done on a contract basis. Um, public notice is, has been mailed. Um, the uh, criteria uh, under the uh, Section 2, 2.435, uh, motel, hotel, bed breakfast, in or at the tourist lodging facility associated uses uh, are permitted as a conditional use. Um, the uh, uses in the C4 zone uh, are not required to provide, provide off-street parking or loading uh, under the uh, under section 7.180 of the development code. Um, the finding uh, off-street parking is not generally available in this neighborhood because off-street parking is not required for permanent uses in the C4. The demand for on-street parking in the neighborhood is at a premium. The demand for off-street parking is exacerbated by the nearby commercial, county, state court, and residential uses. Since this is a conditional use permit, the need for off-street parking should be considered during the conditional use review. Therefore, parking should be required by the Historic uh, Planning Commission if it's deemed to be necessary. Um, the C4 zone is, is designed to promote pedestrian-oriented uses. The staff's opinion is the parking impact of the lodging facility is higher than multifamily housing, particularly lower-cost housing close to the downtown, which are generally occupied by single persons or couples who do not have cars. Guests from out of town generally drive to Astoria and require parking near the near the facility. The existing facility has two off-street parking spaces. It's reasonable to assume that five parking spaces would be needed. Commercial Street is utilized by employees of Classic County as well as residents of the two multifamily buildings west of the applicant's parking, which uh, do not have parking of their own. <coughs> Finding, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Moving on to, um, to section 11, um, comprehensive plan. Um, the finding, the proposed facility would allow for conversion of residential use to a tourist use. That story is becoming the cultural center of the region with its numerous historic properties and districts. And with the increase of breweries and distilleries, the downtown is becoming a destination for tourists. However, there's a severe shortage of affordable housing to support the tourism industry. And other businesses and loss of five affordable housing units could have an impact on the economy. The city is considering zoning requirements that would prevent the conversion of long-term to short-term housing as part of the affordable housing strategy. Um, uh, under CP.206, um, economic development goals to encourage the preservation of historic, historic buildings, neighborhoods, and sites in unique waterfront locations. Uh, the existing building is not designated as historic, but was constructed in 1897 and has been heavily altered. Um, moving on to uh, the conditional use uh, requirements. The, uh, uh, under E, the use is appropriate proposed location. Uh, the site, under finding the site is easily accessible to the downtown area and the Columbia River for pedestrians and bicyclists. However, the lack of parking for three of the proposed units will mean 
guests must compete with local residents, court employees, and patrons and county employees for on-street parking, so accessibility will be difficult. The applicant has not provided an analysis of other appropriately zoned sites that do not require conditional use or, or do not uh, displace existing residents. Under uh, 11.030, uh, 82 uh, on-site layout uh, finding the site contains two parking spaces proposes to utilize on-street parking for three other units the existing on-street parking spaces are heavily utilized um, there's a, uh, a graph that should be sorry um, the other uh, buildings in the vicinity are five 591 commercial with five units um, with a rent structure of $500 per month, no parking, 617 to 623 commercial with four units of $700 a month with no parking, and 641 commercial, this, this property with five units and unknown rent structure, but with two spaces. Um, <clears throat> section 1103083, uh, use will not overburden water and sewer facilities. Um, the building is existing and, and will not um, overburden any of the public facilities. Uh, H, uh, section 11.030.84 requires that topography and soils and other physical characteristics of the site are adequate, um, finding no exterior construction proposed. And, uh, the building is uh, existing and comes with the entire parcel, so landscaping is not a consideration. The conclusion and recommendation, the request does not meet all applicable review criteria. The lack of parking replaces pressure on the availability of parking for local residents and others. Although a ban on conversion of residential to lodging units has not yet been enacted, most ban underscores issues with short-term rentals opposed to the city. Staff concludes the applicant has failed to demonstrate compliance with section 11030A1 that the conversion of this residential use to short-term rentals is not appropriate at this location. Staff recommends denial of conditional use request to CU 1904 based on the findings of that. Thank you, Mr. Moore. Do any of the commissioners have questions or staff? Just two clarifications, if I may. This is... Um, sure. Commissioner Price. Thank you. This uh, picture of 641 commercial is actually of the uh, church next to 641 commercial, correct? Uh, yes. I can't see that from the correct. Yeah, that's the church. Yes, that's correct. Slipped out of the. Sorry about that. And that's, that's 641. Yeah, right. And um, I've heard now twice this referred to as a five room uh, building. This is a five unit building. Yes, they're five, a five, a five unit building. Five. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Price. Any other questions for staff? Okay, public testimony is now open. If you wish to speak, please come to the lectern, state your name and address for the record. Is there a presentation by the applicant? There is. Okay, we would again remind you to please keep your comments to three minutes. Garrett Stevenson. I'm an attorney with Schwab Homes and Wyatt here tonight uh, representing Stewardship Homes. Um, I was not aware that the applicant's presentation would be limited to three minutes, so 
I'm going to ask you right now if I could have a little bit more time since we were not aware that we were going to be receiving a recommendation for denial until uh, we, have, we have allowed up to five minutes in the past, so I will allow okay. Thanks. Um, so uh, with that, I apologize. Originally, we were going to have a little bit uh, different of a presentation for you, but um, I think what I'm going to do, given that we have five minutes, is make it through our legal points as quickly as I can. Um, and uh, after that, feel free to ask questions of myself or uh, Mr. Gillis, who's next to me. He's the project manager for this project. Um, before I get into this, I'm going to have two points of order to talk about. Um, the first one is that if anybody is going to testify against the project, we'd ask to have um, some rebuttal time um, after they're done testifying because we have the burden of proof as the applicant. And the other thing is that I'm uh, probably going to request um, at the end of my discussion that we allow for a final written argument, um, which is consistent with the requirements of ORS 197-763. Um, so with that out of the way, uh, I guess I'll jump right into it. So um, staff's really highlighted two bases for denial tonight, and um, that's parking and then an upcoming ban on um, uh, short-term rentals. And uh, those are the only two bases that we're aware of. Those are the only two bases that staff mentioned. But I'm going to uh, talk about each in turn. First, I want to start with parking. Um, section 7.180 of the code, which is the C4 zone, and I passed out a packet of material that has that attached to it, specifically says that there is no parking required for any use in the C4 zone. Um, so that at least told us at the time when we looked at this that there's no parking required. We certainly weren't anticipating staff's position on this. Um, but that's reflective of at least uh, one comprehensive plan policy. And um, I think I've highlighted this policy as well. CP055 sub 2. And it says that the city supports efforts to improve the parking problem in downtown and to provide landscaping and other improvements. However, the C4 zone will continue to not require off-street parking. Um, and you know, staff's position in section 11 is that there's an allowance for the city to increase the number of required off-street parking spaces through conditional use. The problem with that, and that was detailed in our May 10 letter, is that there are no required parking spaces to increase here. Um, we also, uh, we don't agree with staff's assumption on how much parking is generated by the two different uses. Really what you have is comparison of multifamily and uh, short-term rental uses. So uh, staff has said, well, we think that none of the folks living in these multifamily units in the neighborhood, or at least the majority of them don't have cars. And I would just say that just because uh, apartment buildings don't have uh, dedicated off-street parking does not mean that people living there don't have cars. Certainly that's not uh, my experience living in Portland. And we have a very, very complete um, public transit system. I think living here on the coast, you're a little more dependent on a car and highway travel. That's just an observation though. When you look at the code and what the two different uses require in terms of parking generation, if for example there were minimum parking requirements here, uh, a multifamily unit would require 1.25 spaces. Um, this type of use, uh, motel, uh, short-term rental, that sort of thing, would require one space. So the only data we have, the only substantial evidence that we can glean based on this record is that the city's parking regulations typically require more parking for an uh, equivalent dwelling unit that is multifamily than it would for um, 
for this type of use. So we, we don't agree with staff on that. We think that this is actually going to produce quite a bit less, or at least substantially less parking than it would otherwise. Um, then I want to move very quickly on to short-term rentals. Um, the second reason uh, that staff's recommending denial is because it talks about um, this commission's consideration of a ban on short-term rentals. And I would point out that our application was submitted on April 5th, and the commission considered that ban on April 23rd. So um, we don't think it has much in the way of relevance to what we're trying to do, and that's for a very good reason. It didn't exist, and I think still doesn't exist, uh, at the time that we submitted our application. And under ORS 227-178-73A, which is known as the fixed goalpost rule, um, the applicant is entitled to proceed under whatever standards and regulations are in place at the time that they file. Um, whatever the merits of banning short-term rentals are in the city in the future, that's not a ban that, um, that stewardship is subject to because they applied before that was even considered. So um, that really summarizes uh, our two points here. Um, to conclude, we looked at some of the comprehensive plan policies applicable to the central commercial, central city area, and we think that this application is absolutely consistent with those policies. Um, if you look at uh, policy uh, four under CP055, uh, it says that the city encourages the reuse of existing buildings prior to the expansion of commercial uses. Um, that's clearly what we're trying to do here. And then policy six indicates that the central commercial zone, C4, will continue to be the designation for downtown central business districts. Use in this, uses in this zone will primarily be retail offices, general services with some residential uses. So we would ask respectfully that the commission consider um, the consistency of this project with the directly applicable comprehensive plan policies, which are those in the central commercial. Those generated the C4 zoning, and as we've explained, there's no parking required in the C4 zoning. That's clear in the comprehensive plan. It's clear in the zone itself, and it's actually clear in the parking code. Um, so with that, we would like to ask uh, to have two weeks to prepare a final written argument. And I apologize for that, but we were not aware that we were um, heading for a denial on this. So um, we've had somewhat little time to dive into staff's concerns and arguments in the staff report. But we want to make sure that we're giving you, the commission, um, the benefit of a good, thorough response on each of those points, more than I can give you in five minutes, unfortunately. Um, Thank you. So with that, I'll uh, ask if there are any questions. Uh, I would ask staff if there, if there are any comments that they would like to make at this point, or would they rather wait until the end? I think it's more appropriate at the end, once you hear testimony and you have questions about all the testimony received. I'm sorry, you said please. If you have a specific question, staff would be glad to answer it right now. Um, however, with regards to any sort of questions, I mean, then ask. Um, but I, I, well, we've had a, a request for continuance here. Yeah. So you need to grant that. And I'll let the city attorney go into that. But maybe that's more appropriate towards the end of the hearing when you look at, at moving forward. Um, but under state law, you would need to grant that it's been requested. So, so just to be, just if I could clarify, and I, I'm sorry, um, what we requested is not a continuance, but an allowance for final written argument, which is specified in the state statutes. 
Um, and I just want to make sure that that's clear on the record as our request. Are, are we splitting hers or are we? No, he's no. So, so this would be continued. We would consider this a hearing, a continuance of the hearing in the city of Astoria. Um, it's a but it's continue, continue it um, as the uh, city attorney would outline. Okay. State law provides that the applicant is entitled to a final rebuttal, and the request that he's making is, is appropriate. So, uh, if he's asking for a continuance, it should be granted. Uh, He's asking for two weeks. I think 10 days is required by law, but two weeks probably fits better with our schedules. Great. Thank you. Do any of the commissioners have questions of the applicant? May I ask a question of the city attorney? Commissioner are you, Price. Are you, are, are you saying that everything that uh, revolves around this issue needs to be done either tonight or and a continuance, but that we cannot say, okay, you can have written rebuttal later because that leaves the pub. I'm not quite sure what you're saying. Are you equating his uh, request to uh, have submit a written rebuttal as a continuance? Yes, that's what I said. And he's there after the close of the evidence. They're, they're entitled to a final written rebuttal. So we have to close an issue in a meeting. Of some sort, it can't. We can't say, okay, that's done. He can come back later because then we'd have to reopen for more. Yeah, and, and the, the rebuttals that he provides can't. It can't provide new evidence. It has to be argument, uh, a law, and the points that are in the evidence already. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions for staff or the applicant? Do any of you have any questions for Mr. Gillis? Uh, he knows a lot more about the project than I do. I just want to put that out there in terms of what it's going to look like in the program. And, do any of the commissioners have questions for Mr. Gillis? Say no. Thank you very much. Thank you. Is there a presentation by persons who would speak in favor of the application? Please state your name and address for the record. And My name is limit your comments to three minutes. Okay. My name is Matt Gillis, one one six five zero Southwest Sixty Seventh Avenue, number two ten, Tiger, Oregon nine seven two two three. Um, so I was just commenting on what we're going to plan for this project. Uh, we're going to be spending a lot of money upgrading the facade, making it look much nicer. Um, and when we purchased this property, I was shocked when I saw the staff report for denial based off the code. I looked at the code and it said no parking required. Um, and we purchased it within the C4 zone because it was an allowed hotel usage. Um, there are, in terms of alternatives analysis, there are no other properties similar to this available in the C4 zone that I'm aware of. There's nothing on the MLS as the last time I looked. Um, I get emails on that stuff all the time. And so there are no really other alternatives um, that I'm aware of that are for sale. Um, and uh, in terms of occupancy, right now it's less than that. But I want to talk about parking. Uh, the, the parking code uh, for this property as a multifamily would be 6.5 spaces. And as a hotel use, it would be 5. So we're reducing the parking demand by 1.5 spaces, as well as 
with this kind of usage, the data shows the average occupancy rate is 56%, and so you're going to have a 44% reduction in demand for parking by switching the use on typical average data. Um, and uh, so that's, I feel like there would be significantly less parking required. We do have two spaces on site already. Um, and uh, and you know, where the goal is to clean this up, make it nice. And we this site is perfect because there is only one residential neighbor, which is multifamily. Um, across the street, it's a park. The other, across the street, everything, there's only one building in that whole block that is not, uh, that is residential. So everything else is commercial because there's a jail, there's a church, there's a park, there's a parking lot right across the street. And so there's no curb cuts across the other side of the street. So there's plenty of parking there. Whenever any of us show up, I mean, I can drive up with a bunch of employees and we have five spots right there in front of the building on any typical day. Um, we've never had any issues. We've never actually had to park around the corner ever. Um, there's quite a, you know, a lot of parking available typically. Um, and then he made a lot of other points about the conditional uses as it increasing the, the you know, 11050, um, number five is increasing the required off-street parking spaces in the C4 zone directly says there is no required parking in the C4 zone. And if you go to the parking part of the code as well on 7062C, it directly states that there is no off-street parking required in the C4 zone. And so, but we are reducing, per the code, we are reducing the space demand by 1.5 spaces. Um, we have also, I know- Mr. Gillis, the three minutes are up. I'm sorry we didn't have it counting down on the screen. If okay. you could wrap it up. Okay. We have also redeveloped um, and brought eight vacant properties in Astoria back from vacant, dilapidated houses or foreclosures, um, and we've rehabilitated them and brought them back into the housing stock. We have also brought seven other units that were about to either get condemned or be, you know, they weren't on the edge of condemnation, but they were really, really bad. You know, I wouldn't live in those, and we brought those back into and maintained those and upgraded them to where they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to maintain to make sure they stay in the housing stock in the city as well. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gillis. Is there anyone else who would speak in favor of the application? Is there anyone that would speak impartial to the application? Is there anyone that would like to speak against the application? Please state your name and address for the record, and please limit your comments to three minutes. Don Rossler, R-O-E-S-S-L-E-R. -S -S -E I live at 612 Franklin, but I'm the moderator of the First Baptist Church that was on the screen a bit ago. Uh, parking, even though the, it's, apparently there's no laws about what can, who can park there, uh, the reality is it's packed all the time. We support out of the church 14 different recovery groups, AA, NA, and HA. Um, we have a Girl Scout group that meets there. We have the Hispanic Dance Council that teaches young Hispanics how to do their uh, dancing heritage. Uh, it is busy all the time. Uh, if you come there at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning when the courthouse is coming to work, all the spots are taken. So uh, it, it, parking is, is not an easy thing to have there. Sunday for our church services, we have a lot of elderly people like who usually goes to church these days. And uh, 
they also need to park as close to the building as they can, and uh, that also is a problem on Sunday mornings. So parking, parking is the biggest of the issues. We feel very sorry for the people who had to leave there. I believe that there was only one person that actually uses a car that lives there today, or if, if they haven't had to leave yet. But uh, most of them live in that area because they can walk to downtown and do all the things they need to do without having to have a car. Because most of them, like I said, I think only one actually has a car. So uh, uh, whether it's going to reduce uh, parking, I, I have a hard time understanding that. Um, but, uh, it, 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 and one of the guys that left there, went, over 20 years, lived in that place and walked all over town. That's it was so close for him to be able to do that. So parking is the biggest issue. Um, it's a bigger problem than I think we're thinking it is. And I don't know what will happen when the jail, you know, moves the rest of the way. Uh, if that will free up a little bit, but most of that's at least two blocks around the corner to where that would be. So. Uh, just we're concerned from uh, two points, one parking and one the people don't have any place to uh, to live that used to live in the downtown area because that's taking up five five different units um, and it's uh, it's going to be a problem and be, and be missed. Great. Thank you. Is there anyone else that would speak against the application? <clears throat> Fred White, 2011 Irving Avenue in Astoria. Uh, the first speaker seemed to imply that uh, converting uh, the building from housing to an Airbnb is not converting it to a commercial use, which is discouraged. I would say that an Airbnb is primarily a commercial use, it's not a housing use. Uh, Astoria has some of the oldest housing in the, in the state per capita. And <clears throat> first of all, I agree with the, with the staff recommendations. I think it should be denied. I also just want to say that if the only way that we as a city can can rehabilitate and keep housing stock from totally falling apart is by converting them to short-term rentals, and we're in big trouble as a community. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. White. Is there anyone else that would speak against the application? Pamela Massa McDonald, 22 Nimitz, Southern Oregon. Um, there is so much, it's so difficult. There's people I know who are looking for, for apartments and they can't find a darn one here that could have, they can afford. And they're living on the street now. And I think that this is gonna take five other people onto the street or finding some other place and putting all their income into an apartment place to live because the rents are going so high. I was evicted from my apartment because my landlords upgraded my apartment and and raised the rent so high I couldn't afford to live there. So I am against this and I support the planner. Thank you, Ms. Madison McDonald. Hi, Sharice Clark, um, 124 Lake Street, Ilwaco, Washington. Uh, the reason my address is in Ilwaco is I wanted to move to Astoria and I can't find housing. Um, I'm from a small town in Canada. I also see it happening across the river. Um, I don't want to kill anybody's dreams, and, and not any one situation should bear the burden of precedent for the rest, but I just get real worried. I don't see how um, most property-owning people aren't going to get lured 
when the difference in income is so vast between short-term and long-term. Um, and yet the effect on a community can be really um, devastating if we're just gonna have um, residential housing and low-income and affordable, whatever that means, to different populations. Um, it seems like this was potentially low-income, which is really valuable. And um, what it does to a community to not have stable um, housing in that bracket is really worrisome. And again, any one person shouldn't have to foot the bill for everybody else, but it just does. I would just ask council or this committee to consider the long-term effect and start opening that door in a big way. And again, it's happening across the river in, in my small town there where I was able to find an affordable place, but I wasn't able to here. So, Thank you. Is there anybody else that would speak against the application this evening? Uh, Michael Mathis, 109 North Street, El Waco as well. Uh, I recently moved here, I got to move here from Portland, and I saw what's happening in Portland with the low income housing, and it's just disappearing. Um, my daughter, uh, who's working two jobs, and her fiance is working two jobs to try to afford a uh, place to live. I just don't want to see a story of become you know, Portlandized, which is what it's becoming if we do something like this. Because where are these five people going to go? You know, these five people are probably supporting a restaurant supply or um, the people that, that come to these B&Bs, you know, they go to restaurants. Well, where are the, where are the workers going to go? Where are these five people going to go? That's, I guess that's my main point. You know, I, I don't know where the dwelling of this apartment thing is, but I think we need to worry about these five families that will be out. Thank you, Mr. Matthews. Is there anybody else who'd like to speak against the application this evening? Okay. Closing remarks from, I guess we should have a rebuttal first from the, uh, from the applicant, and that would be the attorney. And then uh, the last provision remarks from Sally. We both rebuttal real quick. We don't actually need to allow both of them as they are both the applicants and the applicant's representative. So you, need to, you need to allow both of them to be able okay. to speak. So both. So um, I don't have much to add in terms of the legal points. I did my best to summarize those uh, for you tonight. I don't think that any of the testimony that's um, come up tonight has changed the reality of what the code requires and what it doesn't require. And it's, you know, I'm entirely sympathetic to the need to um, encourage the preservation of affordable housing. However, um, that shouldn't be all put on the backs of a single property owner, especially when it looks like this city is going to consider banning uh, short-term rentals as a general matter going forward. So I don't think this is the application that is going to break the camel's back, and I also don't think the sky is falling, especially if the um, city is going to take legislative steps to address this. Uh, it's, it's fundamentally unfair of an applicant who opens a code and says, this is what's required. Yes, it's a conditional use, but the issues that came up in that conditional use are specifically either addressed or completely absent from the code, and those are parking and whether or not uh, somebody should be able to do short-term rentals in the city of Astoria. 
parking is addressed very directly in a number of places in the code, and there's nothing in the code that prohibits uh, somebody from doing um, conversion to short-term rentals. And that, I mean, I hate to say it, I guess it's my role as the lawyer to say it, but um, the reason why we have codes and the reason why we have these regulations written down instead of coming up with them uh, during a quasi-judicial proceeding is that so the people who are going to invest in property and, um, and try and make things better or worse depending on uh, what side of the fence you're on, but at least people should be able to open up, a, uh, open up the code and have some rudimentary understanding of what the regulations are applying to their property. And my concern about the way that this is going, this particular application, is that this is literally the goalpost being moved. Um, no parking and you know being denied because of concern over affordable housing is just not things reflected in the code. And it's, it's very troubling if, if you are looking for that kind of predictability and not getting it. It's also illegal, um, which is all based on that statute I read. But that's not what I want to get into. I understand what the concerns are, and I understand the drive, if you're a planner, to try and address those. But um, unfortunately, uh, or right in our, I guess, you know, I, I would say it's a fortunate thing that the state law allows us to depend on the regulations that are written on the day we apply. That's really, I think, what our biggest concern is. Certainly understand people's concerns about affordable housing. I totally disagree that this is going to generate more parking than it would as um, as a uh, apartment use, um, but that's not really the issue. The issue is whether parking is required at all. So with that, I'll go ahead and turn it over to Matt, who's going to make some final factual remarks. Thank you. Um, so I wanted to state, I believe uh, originally when this was fully occupied, there were seven vehicles. I have another building that's six units and it has nine vehicles and it's within six blocks and it's a similar building. Um, and, um, and I also, I mean, I know housing is a big issue. I would add five new units in one of my other buildings within the existing footprint if I were given a parking variance and that doesn't meet the code for that, but I have this unfinished space in an existing apartment building that I could finish out and add five new units. But I was told that it would have to go through a parking variance. And so if that eases things, you can call me out on that. So thank you. Thank you. Did any of the commissioners have questions of either of the applicants or the representative? I have another building in Astoria that has about 1,800 square feet of unfinished space. Oh, that it's a different building that I would finish out if there was a parking variance granted. That one is across the street. There's, I mean, I know it'll be a parking issue conversation again. I haven't decided to proceed with that variance yet. But across the street, it's all vacant land except for one house, and uh, and it's close to a landslide zone, and it's on a steep hill. So it'll. Most likely, unless the housing prices go skyrocket high to above 500,000, it will never get developed until you hit five, 600,000 because the cost to build is so expensive that the only way to make that feasible is when housing goes above 
five or six hundred thousand dollars. So there is a lot of on street parking there because there's nothing across the street. So thank you. Any other questions from the members of the applicant and or staff? I have a question of staff. Commissioner Henry. Um, Tony Hansgard. Um, I'm wondering if you could please clarify for us. Uh, I'm not sure if this is an appropriate question, so just stop me if it's not. But can you clarify for us whether we have legal jurisdiction to add? Park, increased parking spaces from zero to required parking spaces from zero to a number like one, two, three spaces? Yes, you do. Uh, 11.0405 and the conditional use standards specifically allows uh, the Planning Commission to increase the number of required parking spaces. And an increase means increase it. So in this case, you'd increase it. Could increase it. I mean, the key thing revolves around the word required, and they're asserting that when the requirement is zero, zero, and zero is still zero. And so an interpretation of required, required for the project to make sense versus required as is stated in the code. Well, it, it could be that you find that it's necessary to interpret the code in some way. But in this case, there are no required parking spaces and the code allows you to increase that number. So the way I read the code, it's fairly clear on its face that it allows you to increase it from zero. Can I ask a question about a previous decision that was made recently about a similar need for parking with a, a lodging and the solution that was there? There was a conditional use, wasn't there for a, a lodging unit that they needed to come up with parking and they did and they met the conditions. Was that a similar situation where the applicant responded to the condition with an affirmative response? Is that sort of a precedent that? I'm not remembering that that particular uh, Bui, case. The, is it a drift and buoy project? Yeah. They, oh, they, they oh, added 30 units and they yeah. as a condition they needed parking and they came from the Valley Valley. And again, that is a case where in that situation, no parking was required per code uh, for that hotel. However, the applicant came in as a part of their conditional use application and stated that they would provide a certain number of parking spaces uh, for that use while it was below the calculation for a hotel. Um, they made the argument as a part of their application, the Planning Commission approved it, uh, that um, in consideration of the impacts of the conditional use permit on the zone that the additional parking provided um, uh, met the criteria and the conditional use permit. Was so they acquired additional property to address that parking issue and that was part of the or um, they, they um, addressed certain properties that were maybe available for that use. Right. Actually it was part of uh, a land purchase that was uh, being considered for um, the entirety of that site and what um, they proposed uh, was a reconfiguration of an existing parking lot uh, to be able to get more parking spaces provided through the use of valet parking. Um, maybe uh, tandem parking places would not work 
for someone parking their own car because your car could be trapped in between two. Right. But when you have a valet, um, they were able to utilize the tandem space. Is there still some guidance for me in that conditional use being about parking and their effort to address it being a similar circumstance as this, except there's not the additional part to address the... Again, the each, each case stands on its own accord. However, the similar approach uh, would be looked at here where, um, or else the, uh, the Merwin Hotel uh, redevelopment next door where there is a provision as a part of the conditional use permit process for some additional parking to be, uh, you know, to be provided. Um, it's typical and it's uh, been a standard practice uh, through our planning commission over the years uh, for there to be review of the parking impacts to the downtown commercial zoning district and the planning commission determining whether or not there were impacts and should there be some mitigating factors like providing additional parking uh, required? Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. If, if I could make a couple additional comments. First is, I think actually the arguments today have kind of skipped a couple steps in the conditional use process. Um, a conditional use by its very nature is not a permitted use in that zone unless you can find that the proposed use is going to be beneficial to the city some way. If you find it's beneficial to the city in some way, then you can condition that use to ameliorate the effects of that use on the neighborhood, on this particular neighborhood. Those judgments are all, um, all very subjective and they all have to focus on the particular neighborhood. So by looking at different conditional uses, and it may be a little mis misleading, what you need to do is focus the effect of this conversion of five residential units to five, uh, essentially a hotel use in this particular set. First, you gotta find that it's beneficial to the city, and then you're gonna try to ameliorate the, the effect of that. But also the, the applicant who has the burden of proof has to provide evidence that uh, of other factors that are set forth in the um, conditional use criteria. One is that uh, there's a need for additional vacation units in the system. Second, that there are no other appropriately zoned areas for this particular use. Third, that this location is a desirable location for this particular use. Next one is that the parking in the area is adequate for this particular use. And that um, Airbnb type rental units are compatible with the adjacent uh, properties in that area. If you do find that uh, conversion is beneficial to the city, you can then impose conditions that you find appropriate to ease out any problems that you find. But the first step is to find that this is a beneficial use for the city. Thank you, Mr. Hennigstark, for that clarification. Mr. Morgan. I'd like to just note that um, there, you have to submission of two uh, letters, one from the Downtown Associ Historic District Association and one from uh, Linda Oldenkamp. Uh, should be entered into the record. Uh, I also wanted to mention that, that I have in, in several, at least two discussions with, with Mr. Uh, Gillis, uh, alerted him to the fact that 
that uh, parking is an issue and uh, has been has been uh, uh, required in other situations, uh, as as the city manager mentioned. Thank you, Mr. Warren. <clears throat> Any other questions? First down. I, I have a question for clarification. Commissioner Warnick. There's no specific prohibition, though, for them to remodel this property and charge four or five times existing rate, um, and they would still be grandfathered in with the existing um, code that says no parking is required, even if it doubles or triples the current number of spaces. Is that correct? That's correct. You mean, you mean as permanent as, as a permanent housing. as a permanent housing? Sure, that's the existing use. Okay. Well, I think other than the supply and demand, but okay. So I would have a couple of questions. Do we allow rebuttal from the applicant on this? So the the um, applicant has requested a uh, the ability to provide final written rebuttal. And they've requested a two-week time frame to be able to put that together. Um, so I'm going to make sure that uh, I get this correct, and Mr. Hainsgar you know, let me know if, if I don't. What the Planning Commission would be doing is not uh, closing the public hearing, but allowing for final rebuttal to be coming um, at a, a time two weeks from now and then you will reconvene at a, a later meeting uh, to be able to um, make your final decision um, without the public hearing being open meaning that you will be reviewing the record in full in its entirety and you will deliberate at that point in time so keeping the public they will close the record except for the final written rebuttal from the applicant. I'm, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? The city attorney is clarifying that the hearing would be closed except for the applicant's final written rebuttal okay. tonight. And then we will not discuss as commissioners this evening. No, you will not. And this meeting will be ended. Right, and then, and then it will, it will be uh, brought back for deliberation at your next planning commission meeting. Great. So I will close the meeting, but we don't need a vote. And we right. So what you would just do is uh, close the public hearing, except for the applicant's final uh, written rebuttal. Um, I would ask that the planning commission set a time and a date uh, for submittal of the um, applicant's final written rebuttal. They've asked for two weeks. Uh, two weeks from uh, today would be June the 11th. I would request it be set uh, to be received by 5 p.m. So I will close the public hearing except for the rebuttal from the applicant. Um, and as far as setting a time, I will personally be out of town. You know, actually, um, this, the, the time that you'll be setting right now is a date uh, of having the applicant's final written rebuttal to be received by the Community Development Department by 5 p.m. on June 11th. Okay, so the written rebuttal shall be received by the Community Development Department by 5 p.m. on June 11th. That's correct. Right. And so, then the hearing. So then you will be reconvening 
as the Planning Commission at your next regular meeting on June the 25th. So then we will reconvene at our next regular Planning Commission meeting at, on June 25th. So what you'll just want to do, Commission, is to avoid any ex parte contacts uh, during any of this time. Uh, those would need to be declared um, at your next meeting, uh, should you have any uh, ex parte contacts. And then you will just uh, purely be doing the deliberation portion of uh, this uh, item um, on June 25th. Great. Thank you, Mr. Estes. All right. Um, what you will need to do is, is actually, what you will need to do is have a motion uh, to uh, continue uh, deliberation of this uh, conditional use permit to your next regular meeting of June 25th, 2019 at 6.30 p.m. And that would just need a motion to do that. Would someone like to make that motion? I move, I move the SRA Planning Commission uh, continue the conditional use request CU19-04 by Stewardess Shipped Homes LLC to its next regular meeting on June 25th at 6.30 p.m. For deliberation. Do we have a second? For deliberation. For deliberation. Second. And was that Commissioner Price? Yes, it was. Moved by Commissioner Moore, seconded by Commissioner Price. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Abstain. Motion carries. Great, it is now 7.30. You know, fans and regulars will know that I take a break at the hour, um, or after an hour, so we will reconvene in six minutes at 7.37. sections from A19-01A, as well as continued discussions regarding potential sub-areas within the bridge vista overlay. Um, due to the continuance, I don't need to ask about objection to the jurisdiction or ex parte contact, and could we have a presentation uh, of the staff report? Okay, just as a reminder, um, the commission has considered river provision uh, amendments throughout the entire uh, area, all four of the sub-areas. Bridge Vista, uh, the urban court is still under consideration, and you have Civic Greenway and Neighborhood Greenway. Um, the document that you originally saw included changes throughout those three major districts other than urban court, and the height and mass of buildings in the Bridge Vista area were uh, additional contentious issues that needed more time to discuss and work through. So at your meeting 
uh, previously, you recommended that the city council consider all of the issues for the Riverfront Vision in this amendment other than the bridge, vista, height, and mass issues. So those other amendments went on to the city council and will be heard on June 3rd. The remaining issues... Actually, June 17th. That's right, I'm sorry, June 17th, thank you. Amendments <laughs> good stuff. Um, what you will have to, uh, to discuss tonight is the continuation of the discussion for the height allowable within the Bridge Vista area. And what was being recommended was a 28-foot maximum with some exceptions to 35 feet. And mass, what was uh, in the original recommendation was 30,000 square feet for all buildings within a campus. So if you had two buildings for one use, those two buildings could not exceed 30,000 combined. Um, during that discussion originally of the height and mass, both the Astoria Warehousing property owners and the Port of Astoria expressed concern because they have fairly large sites that encompass multiple acres and to limit up to 30,000 square feet for all development would be quite restrictive for those uh, two uh, areas. Uh, what would, we had suggested was similar to what was done in the Civic Greenway area was to create a potential planning district. What that would do is say that each of these two areas could come before you and the city council in future days with a master plan for their properties. Those master plans then could ask for exceptions to some of the codes that are in place, such as additional uses or a difference in height or setbacks, but they would have to come with their plan an actual master plan for the development, take it before the Planning Commission and City Council to make sure that you agree with this plan and for whatever exceptions that they would like to write into the code for those uh, exception areas. Um, with staff, uh, we drafted up some language. It, it would not be granting any exceptions at this time. It would only be granting them the right to come back and ask for the exceptions to be written into the code if you approve their master plan. So those are kind of open-ended type codes in there. It doesn't <coughs> grant them any exceptions at this time. So what we did, um, that's kind of a background of where we are. Um, let's see. Okay, so on the, the, the idea of a port master plan, the port had submitted a potential boundary for their district that they would like to uh, recommend, and that's the red dashed line that you see. Uh, I've superimposed that yellow line up in the top right-hand corner because that is a limitation area where nothing can be built higher than the top of bank uh, by the proposed by the existing code. 
and that limitation area is right in front of the Maritime Memorial. Uh, as staff, we're recommending that limitation area be removed from the plan district so that that is not impacted. The second area is the one outlined in orange, and that is what was called a pedestrian-oriented zone. And within the Bridge Vista area, a small area was identified, and I'll show that on the next screen, the hash mark area, and that went from Columbia Avenue uh, to Basin Street, I believe. And so that area is fairly small, but it was to be pedestrian-oriented. Um, if you look at the proposal, there's just a small area within what the court is considering in their um, district boundaries that would include that. As staff, we would recommend that you consider excluding the pedestrian-oriented area from the district or at least stating that the pedestrian-oriented codes would remain in place and would not be open for exemptions. Um, the Uniontown Reborn, which is the new development um, <coughs> document for the Uniontown area, supports that area as pedestrian-oriented. It's a small area fronting on West Marine Drive, and so we would recommend that that not be uh, open for exemptions for the um, planned district in the future. The, the rest of the port area, as you can see, north of that orange line, near the red building, and the entire area where the Chinook building and the um, river trail in is, all of that area would still be open for the planned district if they want to do some development. So that's at least with the, the outline of where the district would be. On the Astoria Warehousing site, that is a fairly large site, and that one uh, is not in any of the limitation areas if we map the area for uh, some development exceptions on the land side. What you as a commission tonight needs to discuss is what is the height that you want to recommend for the Bridge Vista area? And is it 28 with exceptions to 35, such as if it's low-income housing or minimum of 25 years, it could automatically have a 35-foot height. Um, also, the mass, do you want to uh, keep it at the 30,000 square feet and on only these two planned districts, allow that as an exception in the future? And then the other questions are, what do you want to do about these two planned district areas? And do you want to streamline some of those district boundaries? And then the other question is, do you want to put limitations on what type of things that they could ask for exemptions? Uh, if you look at the court one as an example, uh, I have done, uh, it says adding uses. The Bridge Vista already has added uses beyond the base zone, so as staff, we would recommend that we not be allowed to add extra uses, that those uses should cover most of what we, you know, you want to envision for that area. Changing building heights, 
time, do you want to put that they could go to 45 max? But that would be 28 to 45, so that would allow them quite a difference from a two-story, basically, to a four-story building for that planned area if it's approved at that time and if you want to do it. But at this point, you could put a maximum to say that those exemptions they could ask for up to 45. Um, setback and view corridor modifications that may allow them to place buildings just slightly different on uh, street ends. Building size and permissible footprint, that would be the massing. So possibly you could say no one building could exceed 30,000 square feet, but they could have multiple buildings on the site, adding up to more than 30,000. So these are some of the options. So as we go through the discussion tonight, I'll keep bringing up some of these questions if they don't get addressed as we go along. Um, and then this similar thing I did on the Astoria Warehousing, I think uh, theirs was a little bit, Um, what I did with that one is the uses, I did not, uh, I did not take that one out because the uses weren't changing that much in that area. Changes to building height, view quarters, but again, just like before, you may want to put limitations on these. So what you need to do tonight is to open it up for public input, uh, we do have uh, several people who want to speak to these issues tonight, and it'll be part of the public hearing. Then you can keep the public hearing open, but discuss tonight because what I need is direction from the commission how to write the code. At this point, this code is not ready to be uh, sent on to the city council. This is a meeting to give me more direction on how to write this one. And then the, the next meeting, you would find, I finalize the code, you finish the public hearing, deliberation, and then make your recommendation. Is that kind of great? Clear? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I understood it, but I certainly wouldn't question you, Mr. Johnson. Should we ask for questions from the commissioners or should we open? Questions for Planner Johnson? All right. We'll open the public hearing. And I understand that one of the uh, one of the people in the audience would like to give a presentation this evening. Uh, we have, uh, because the person asked in advance, we have agreed to a 10-minute presentation. Uh, since we can't, this evening, run the numbers uh, down on the timer on the screen. Uh, I will raise my hand at the five-minute mark, and I have told the individual that I will place this can up here when it's time to, to wrap up. I'm going to start rattling it if you don't. So, we have a presentation. Good evening, Commissioners. Thank you very much. My name is Jim Knight. I'm the Executive Director of the Port of Astoria, and my daytime residence is number 10, Pier 1 building, which is you'll find me there most of the time. I really appreciate this opportunity to have a conversation. 
regarding the designation of a special district for the West Marina area. And the reason for doing this is that there are so many changes that are afoot and so many opportunities that have gone unrecognized that I think the timing to be able to do this and take a look at the area of the port that's been, that we would like to see designated as a special district will become very important to our community for the future. So I thought I'd start with this as sort of a very fast uh, walking tour of the, what we see today. So obviously you know where the Maritime Memorial Park is on the very east edge of this, uh, this uh, area, uh, including the Red Building, the home of the Bridgewater Bistro, Ocean Beauty Seafoods in that location, uh, the Cannery Pier Hotel, the Chinook Building, the Seafair Old Restaurant Building that's adjacent to the Chinook Building, the Riverwalk Inn, our, our Port of Astoria offices on Pier 1, and of course Pier 1, which is the home of where you, we have our cruise ships come and visit, along with many other vessels as well. So the types of things that we see today, my button went a little bit fast, but starting from the Memorial Park, as I take a walk through there and I see the beauty of Astoria and our opportunities to see the magnificent Columbia River and how important it is for our community to be able to preserve these, these views. Also, the historic character that we have within this area, the Swan Hall is a very good indication just to the south of Memorial Park. We have beautiful visions of what we see of the, of the river. As you walk westward from the, from the Memorial Park, you've got a waterfront access for pedestrian access, which isn't used very often because right now it's a parking lot. Uh, right next to that are some very important historical features in Astoria that need to be preserved for the community's historic benefit and to preserve the character of our community. There you have is the uh, uh, Ocean Beauty Seafoods facility that was right in with this district. It's a very industrial looking facility. It's part of our, of our waterfront uh, development and part of the waterfront culture. There's a great view of what it looks like after multiple storms that hit our, our community. And what ends up is dilapidated sidewalks, or not sidewalks, but dilapidated parking lots. I see that when I go there as a wonderful opportunity for the future of how to preserve this portion of Astoria and the views that it offers to our river. We're all familiar with the Bridgewater Bistro uh, uh, and the Red Building itself. I don't know how many people are aware that there is public access to the deck on the Bridgewater, uh, on the Red Building, that people can actually get out of their park, car, park in the parking lots. Just take a stroll on that boardwalk or that deck that's on, on the red building. Continue on the south side or the north side of the building. When you get out there, there are tables for the restaurant, but it's also open to the public to, to enjoy these views of the waterfront. We also see is just to the west of the red building, uh, open area and open spaces. This is the continuation of the western edge of the Red Building's deck. To the north, you see the Cannery Pier Hotel, but there's no real safe way to walk out there. There's grassy area that's next to the roadway, but it's not as safe for pedestrians as what we would like to see. Again, you see more open area, these bridge vistas that are, that are absolutely stunning when, you, when you're in the right day and the right moment. 
You also see the more historic uh, 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 characters of our community that explains our historical past. When I look at this part of our community, then I see opportunities of where our community can become involved in what are smart city concepts. Instead of seeing stationary signage that you have here, interactive uh, programming is now available in many, many communities around the world where either with a code that you see attached to the signage or with the application on smartphones or other mobile devices can explain to you where you are, why you are here, what was here originally, what is the history, the purpose of the vote, many things. We're five minutes into it, so okay, I think I'm doing good. <laughs> what really impressed me when I walked through this area is the enormous amount of open space. And the open space right now is used for dog parks, it's used for people sitting out there. Typically you'll see people in their, in their cars parked and looking at this area. But you begin to think of what could we use with this portion of the property. It's quite substantial when you look and to see what we have and the availability of the views. This is a view that's looking north. I'm not sure how many folks have actually taken the time to walk on on that pathway straight out to the bridge, out to the uh, breakwater. There's a historic building that you see, which is a coffee shop and a major parking lot. This is the slip that's between the Ports uh, uh, West Marina and the Cannery Pier Hotel, and it's looked like this for many, many, many decades. It has the opportunities to do something in the future, not to put buildings on, but for something that the community can enjoy. This is a bench that's on the end of that parkway, if you haven't been there. It's wonderful views. If you ever go out there with a picnic lunch with a friend, family member, and enjoy what we have. Also in the marina, you'll see multiple activities going on in the fishing season. This is a public accessible fish cleaning station. And then this is the trail that would take you from uh, this open space at the, uh, um, by the uh, Chinook building and then moving to the westward towards the river walk in. There is the dilapidated Seafair restaurant. It's time for this building to come down and be replaced with something that's different. Preferably, it would be a high-end restaurant so that our community can enjoy it. The things that I've talked about so far are things that I think can be developed within the existing code. We're not here tonight to ask for recommendations or changes to the code, but really to augment what we have and to make it as beautiful as we can with this district. This is a view that's actually from my office. One of the very first things that I saw when I came to town, I said, this is gonna work, this is gorgeous. <laughs> and again, this would be looking towards the north, uh, to the southeast in our marina and then moving uh, further into town. So questions are is why now? The port is just now embarking on a five-year strategic plan. In fact, next Tuesday is the rollout in a public meeting that this public is invited to, to hear what the plans are for the port for our coming five years. It's the creation of a new Uniontown Reborn. We're in the midst of this, and what's the relationship between the port's property and Uniontown? These are really important questions, particularly when it comes to public access and parking. The potential sale of port buildings in the proposed district is coming at us quickly. We're in the process of getting appraisals for the three buildings, Chinook, Seafair, and Riverwalk Inn. 
the continued growth in tourism in general, along with growth in cruise ships. We've got 30-some cruise ships scheduled to come next year, and there's no indication of this slowing down. So we need to create a plan. We need to engage with our neighbors, discover our common interests and our concerns. We need to envision the possibilities that rewards our community and attracts residents and visitors alike to our West Basin Marina District. We need to create a plan that ensures the district is financially self-sufficient, a very important ingredient, and create a plan that recognizes the very important symbiotic relationship between the West District of our Marina and Uniontown District. We need to address the common concerns of security, parking, ingress and egress, travel routes, lighting and design elements, and many others. And we would be doing this by supporting the Riverfront Vision Plan. I can't read those bullets from here. I have to get close. Uh, but I can see from this screen. But this, this is what I've grabbed from the Riverfront Vision Plan, and which I think needs to be emphasized for the development of this portion. Preserve our sweeping vistas, extend the Riverwalk Trail where needed to provide bicyclists and pedestrians with direct connection, and incorporate the building elements that respect and complement the, the working riverfront characters. We need to incorporate components, I believe, that are identified in the Civic Greenway project, which is connect Astoria's recreation components to the riverfront by including open space areas adjacent to the river's edge and then lead to residential neighborhoods. Incorporate open space and natural areas as a component of the riverfront and complement the river walk with plantings that frame the views and provide a riverfront park or open spaces as a focal point on the river. We work with the structure of the city of, of Astoria's comprehensive plan. And there was language within that plan that really grabbed my attention in relationship to this project. And it is the primary goal of the comp plan to maintain Astoria's existing character by encouraging a compact urban form. Maintain the working, uh, uh, make, maintain the working waterfront character. That's a very important of our community that we see the continuation of this, of this vision. And then create a visioning process through community engagement that will include residents, property owners, business owners, and visitors alike, and to explore <coughs> our opportunities. And I thought I'd give a, just a couple more slides of this is what do I see as our opportunities, particularly what you see in that blue line? What if we had a boardwalk that was right along the waterfront that connected the disparate joints or the portions of the Riverwalk Trail that essentially takes a little bit of a dive to the southwest when you get past the Holiday Inn Express uh, and then get up to close to um, our Memorial Park? But what if we could continue that boardwalk along the waterfront? What if we had large open spaces, and open spaces that could include potential of an outdoor amphitheater, gathering spots for our community for special events? What if we offered new events on the waterfront because now we would have a beautiful place that's a gathering spot that has adjacent parking, has grand vistas and views of our community, perfect place for us to explore how we could become more neighborhood-centric and more, uh, 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 more open to the visions that we see here in Astoria. 
What if we had enhanced experience for local events and activities? And what if we elevated the retail and tourist experience at the waterfront to support the businesses that are already there, to find ways that the port can work with Uniontown and to develop a district of which I believe that our entire community would enjoy in season and out of season. So I'm trying to find what is the perfect balance of creating open vistas, waterfront access, views of the river, commercial activities that could support the maintenance uh, of our new district. These are the things that need to take place and it would be done through a master planning process. Thank you very much for the generosity of your time this evening. I hope I didn't go too far over my 10 minute period. I know the <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. For Thank this. you, Mr. You're very welcome. Are there any questions that you would have of me? Do the commissioners have any questions of Mr. Knight? I guess I just have one about uh, the boundaries include properties that are not port owned. Yes. Yeah, I think, but I think it's very important as you go through the planning process that you automatically engage your neighbors' opinions of what you would like to see happen within their community. They should be a part of that planning process, and every possible invitation that we could create would ask them to join in, because we've got issues of ingress, egress, lighting, security, access, parking. All of those things would be important to the neighbors that we have, and I see our neighbors being included as, uh, as Uniontown. So to answer your question, it's because I think that they very much well need to be a part of the planning process. The days of the port being a, uh, a, a distant organization that's not involved in our community, if it needs to come to an end, this is our opportunity right now with, I think, one of the best pieces of property that the port owns and our opportunity to introduce our, to our community the benefits and the beauty that ports can become. Thank you, Mr. Knight. And that question was from uh, Commissioner Corcoran for the record. And it appears that Commissioner Price has a question as well. I do. So let me address the elephant in the room. I see it on the faces here. Uh, uh, two questions. Um, one is, as you started out saying, a lot of these things the port could do now. It's, it's within your, it's, it's within the code, it's, it's within your purview, really. Um, so, and the other thing is, I mean, the port has so many other things to do that are so essential to the economic uh, vitality and viability, both of the port itself and of, and of uh, Astoria and Clatsop County, how do you ever get around to a master plan that, that is parks and views and you know enhanced community work? I mean, you've got so much on your plate. How, how does that fit? One objective at a time, one priority at a time, <laughs> one mission at a time. You're, you're, you're right, uh, you're right, Commissioner Price, is that it is a lot on the port's plate, a lot of things for us to take care of, but we can't use the excuse that we have too much it, that would make us stagnant so that we can't grow. The things that I'm talking about are certainly going to take many months, if not years, to come to fruition. But if I don't get started, if the port doesn't get started, then it simply won't happen. So it is a matter of balancing the needs on a day-to-day -day basis. So maybe my question is, is, why do you need a master plan inserted into this code in order to do those things? 
because I really don't know what the, what the neighbors perceive. There's going to be the potential change in ownership of the Cannery Pier Hotel. There's going to be a change happening at the River Walk Inn and the Seafair Restaurant and our Chinook building. That's going to change. There's a proposed hotel that's when this district is going to have an impact on what happens within this community. And we're in the midst of a large planning process for Uniontown. So all of those things are really data that needs to be collected before we can make final decisions on how we develop that portion of our Astoria waterfront. There is a lot of planning, I think, that needs to be talked. Where will parking be? How will ingress, ingress? Where is the routing of traffic? How will it interface with the river, existing river walk trail? <clears throat> That's why I believe it's most important that we do enter into a master planning process that engages the community to help devise what this portion, very important portion of our community will look like. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you, Commissioner Price. Any other questions for Mr. Knight? Thank you, Mr. Thank Knight. You. Is there anyone else that would like to address the Planning Commission this evening? Please state your name and address for the record. Elizabeth Menetrace, 3849 Grand Avenue. Um, I'm, the things that the court can do now, there's some things, uh, that's great. What I'm concerned about, we have, if you've looked over the materials, is that water-related, water-dependent uses are going to be allowed variances over the water, to do what they need to do. The question is, why would there need to be other variances uh, besides water-related, water-dependent use? What are the things that are going to need variances outside of the 28 feet or 35 feet? What are those things, and what kind of partnerships are the is the port looking at? Uh, I have notes from March 13th City Council meeting about Mr. Knight talking about Mr. Hollander and the ideas they might have for a marina village. Um, I haven't had the greatest opinion of Mr. Hollander, I'm not trying to, but what are his ideas for our community? What are his ideas for what he wants these properties to look at? So we have to keep in mind that if these properties are sold, whose doubles bargain are we going to make with certain people and what their ideas for what our community should be? So I think we have to be really, really careful of what the, what, what's going to happen with these properties, who they're going to be sold for. Too. And uh, that worries me a lot. Thank you, Ms. Menetry. Is there anyone else that would like to address the Planning Commission this evening? Uh, good evening, Commissioners. I'm Phil Grillo. I'm Davis Wright Tremaine. I'm here on behalf of uh, the Astoria uh, Warehouse Incorporated property owners. Um, I uh, addressed you uh, last couple of times, and I want to thank you again for the great weather each time I've been out here. I know that's uh, beyond your jurisdiction, but uh, um, it's, it's very thankful, uh, the good weather. Um, I want to tonight just sort of take my land use lawyer hat off a little bit and talk about uh, this more from a land use planner standpoint, uh, which uh, was my former life before I uh, went to law school. Um, and I want to talk specifically about the height and bulk issues and the plan district issues. First thing, um, I think in terms of a concept, it may be helpful to look at things as uh, at least 
what I would be supportive of, um, is to have both a clear and objective set of standards. And by that I mean things where you've got you know, specific numbers or ratios or whatever that don't involve the exercise of discretion so that you can go in as a permitted use, figure out what your development regulations are and go straight to building permits. That's what I mean by clear objective permitted use kind of a standard. And I think you're, you're getting there. I know you're struggling with that in terms of height. Um, and certainly we would encourage a little more height rather than a little less height. Um, but I think, uh, uh, at least my sense is you're still hung up on the, the massing issue. Um, I think the 30,000 square feet is, is really not the right number. It's way too small. And also I would encourage you to think about it in terms perhaps of FAR, floor area ratio, rather than some absolute number. Typically what I've seen from a planning standpoint is when you have a specific number, and I would, uh, for instance, in the Hood River, uh, City of Hood River Code along the waterfront, they've got a limitation, a specific limitation on certain kinds of retail and restaurant type of uses along the waterfront, in part so they're not competing with the, um, um, with the downtown area, but that's where you use that very specific number. But if you use that on big sites, the numbers is way off. So I would encourage you to look at a reasonable FAR, maybe with some view corridors and things. I mean, actually, I think your existing code does a pretty good job of that. But I would encourage you to get away from this raw number of 30,000 square feet. Secondly, I want to leave you with the idea that I think it's very important, in addition to that clear and objective pathway, which you really need to do to, for the needed housing issue. I think you also need to have a discretionary pathway, and I think the plan district is a good idea. My only concern with the plan district, um, and I realize the trap door is going to open here now just about any time, but to just finish that thought, is um, the plan district, as I understand it, would work like you would come in for both a legislative um, map or text amendment and you'd also come in for a quasi-judicial permit either separately or at the same time. I think probably the most efficient way to do that is to say, okay, we're going to establish these plan districts, um, but they require you to come in for essentially plan unit development. And so you come in for a type three discretionary permit and that's where you flesh out those standards. <coughs> that's not unlike what you would do to move from a straight subdivision to um, more flexible subdivision. So that, I think, is an easier process. I'm not sure that you're ready to do that, given your existing code. And I'm cognizant that uh, uh, I'm asking you to do some things a little differently. But I think it's going to be more efficient, and it's going to be easier for you to figure out a reasonable FAR than some arbitrary number for bulk. And I also think it's going to be easier and more efficient for you and for applicants to have a uh, discretionary process that's more in, the, in line with the PUD. So um, I've given you some thought, and I want to be responsive to any thoughts or questions you have. It, it, thank you, Mr. Grillo. It almost seems as though you had a question for staff and with staff like the dress up, or? Well, this is actually would be directed to the planning commission as to how you would direct staff. So what Mr. Grillo is, has indicated is, uh, you know, he's put two different uh, options with regards to a discretionary process out on the table. One is to match uh, what we have in existence over uh, in the E3 
East End Mooring Basin presently. And again, that was language that was recommended by the Port of Astoria's attorney when we went through the, um, the Civic Greenway area, whereby, um, as, as Mr. Grillo indicated, there is a legislative process by which a master plan and some code standards would be developed to go to the Planning Commission, Planning Commission would make a recommendation to the City Council, City Council would, would approve that master plan code amendment, and then there would be a permit, the quasi-judicial permit that Mr. Grill had indicated, uh, would be something that would then come potentially to the Planning Commission for, for review as to a specific development. So as he indicated, it's really kind of a a two-step process. First of all, you do the master plan and you get the zoning uh, lined up with the master plan, and then second of all, you come in and apply for the, the, the development permit. The other scenario that Mr. Grillo had indicated is what's called a planned unit development, which um, is not something we really have in our code. We have some PUD language, but it's not really kind of the format uh, that's done, um, done elsewhere. Uh, a planned unit development concept is whereby someone, well, first of all, the code allows for a planned unit development to be applied for and it allows for certain exceptions to be applied for um, as, as a part of a planned unit development application. Um, so let's say we had that, that ability within our code. What would happen is uh, someone who was applying for a, a plan needed development would develop a site plan. That site plan uh, would be treated like a zone change. Um, and where it goes before the Planning Commission, Planning Commission holds public hearings, they, they recommend uh, make a recommendation to Council, and the zone itself is an approved site plan for the project. Things could develop incrementally over time as outlined in the planned unit development, but it, it takes two processes um, that are currently in our code and morphs it into one. That's kind of maybe, the, the, right. maybe how I would summarize it. Right, you would really be, I totally agree, essentially in, and again, this is not a criticism of staff, this is just the way your code sits now. You essentially have to bake two cakes. What I'm suggesting, you just bake, bake one and it's quasi-judicial. Um, that doesn't mean that um, it's less rigorous. It just means that there's a lot less sort of process to it. And I think, uh, Commissioner Price, I, you were one of your comments was sort of alluding to that in my mind as you were talking, which is that you know whether it's the poor or businesses, they've all got other things to do than write plan districts. Um, so I think it's easier if what you're doing is you know you're hiring a development team, you're working with a, a planner and you're working with the, the city, you know, sit down and do essentially a, a, a plan development site plan and talk about, you know, what you need to do there. Um, these are common and I mean, I know Hillsborough uses them uh, quite readily in, in many of the um, areas uh, there, whether it's along light rail or whatever, so areas where you need to have special design and considerations. Um, that's where you come in and use this, this plan district situation. You get to um, you know, work through it. But having two processes <clears throat> side by side, uh, I think is just cumbersome, and I'm not sure it, it gets you where you need to be, either in the short run or in the long run. So that's the planner suggestion I bring forward to you. Thank you, Mr. Rowe.
commissioners have questions for the speaker? And I know you have all the time in the world to do that, and we'd certainly be happy to try and help if you decide to move that concept along. So, okay. Thank you. Thanks. Is there anybody else that would like to address the Planning Commission this evening? My name is Chris Ferrar. I live at 3023 Harrison Avenue in Astoria. And um, I guess the comments I have about what I've heard tonight are apparently some people get exorbitant amounts of time to talk and have a conversation with the commission and others don't. But that aside, I would say that um, I like the idea that I heard presented with regard to the port property that includes some area that's been described variously as a pedestrian friendly kind of development zone. I, I like the idea of cutting that out of any piece that the port may get for its own individual development plan and keep it consistent with the neighboring part of that that planned zone that's for pedestrian friendly. That would guarantee that it stays that way and doesn't get corrupted by activities of the Port Commission, which is notorious for that kind of thing. Um, also, I would say that if these planning zones are set up for the port and for the warehouse, that there should be height limitations placed in those areas, just as there is throughout the bridge vista area. Keep it at 28 feet, unless it's a water-dependent use, a real port activity that's using the water and the design of whatever it is that's being built just requires it to go higher than that. I don't have a problem with some industrial activity along our waterfront. I think we should have that. And I think you've got to allow uh, a lot of flexibility to what that looks like. But uh, I would not allow the port to have 45-foot hotels where other places they got to be 28 feet. So I would say if the port makes this plan for this area, special area, just eliminate the use of Hotels within that zone would be one way of doing it. Um, let's see, what other points? Uh, I liked a lot of what Jim Knight showed in his presentation. I just uh, really question whether that'll really happen given what we see at the Port Commission and uh, the way things have gone over the years. So I think you need to keep a very tight rein on them. And I also think you shouldn't be shy about putting constraints on development because developers are, you know, they're smart people. They have lots of money. They get the right people to design something that will work. So even though they act like, oh gosh, we can't do it unless you let us go to 45 feet, that's just not true. Just take the vision of Astoria as your starting point and keep that vision in your mind and put the proper constraints 
on what development can take place there, and the developers will find a way to do it. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Mr. Farrar. Is there anyone else that would like to address the Planning Commission this evening? I'm Will Johnson, 509 Kensington Avenue. Um, I like a lot of what the last gentleman said. Um, I'm all about having things for the public and having access to the waterfront, uh, more so than uh, business-oriented things. I know that we need business here. In regards to things about the port growth and, and such, uh, low is better in my view, so I have a view. And with that, um, you know, I can see the idea of having a plan and coming up with a new plan for growth. Um, Commissioner Price, you know, what you were saying stuck in my head before you even said it. You know, it's like, what are you thinking? Um, you're thinking ahead, but like I've said in, in past meetings that I've attended, whatever you own, you gotta take care of. We have to take care of what we have first and put our focus there primarily. And I, I think that um, in, in some ways, the word growth has to happen or a community dies. But you can't forget your foundation of what got you to this point. You have to take care of what we have. So when I see the word growth come into play, it's the old part of where do we put these people when we grow? Where are they going to go? And the earlier meeting talked about the parking. It's, it, it's that issue, capital P to that one. So um, make the places available for our public to come and see what beauty we have in our town now. Don't make it ugly with big buildings that people don't want to see, including most of the people that I believe that live here don't want to see that. Take it slow. Take care of what we have now. Focus on that first and always. And I think that the majority of the people will appreciate that. And I do want to say thank you for what you do. I couldn't do it myself. So I sincerely say thanks, and I will be at more meetings. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. Is there anyone else that would like to address the Planning Commission this evening? Hi, Sarah Jean Barty, 250 11th Street. Uh, disclose that I am a design review committee member, but I'm speaking as an individual. Um, I would urge all of you to uh, pass the code amendment changes with the new height restrictions across the whole zone without the exemptions for the port and for Astoria warehousing for a couple reasons. Um, one being that if someone were to come along later with some brilliant idea that would benefit the community, they could apply for a conditional use or a variance. Um, <coughs> another reason is in the meantime while we're discussing all of this or while if we were to grant the port uh, the ability to um, 
come up with a master plan. What happens while they're <coughs> fleshing out their master plan? Um, at the last hearing, details aside, uh, the attorney made the case, which is true, that the code that is written at the time of an application is what counts. So while we're all discussing this and it's getting pushed from here to city council and further, if buildings are sold and things are applied for, it's the code that is written that applies. So I think time is of the essence with this kind of thing. Um, my other reason for it is the slideshow that we just watched had a lot of uh, really pretty pictures. I, it, it felt like a poor attempt at trickery to me because the photographs are as it stands now. It has nothing to do with development in the future. And I, I hope that nobody was fooled by that. And, and I appreciate um, Councillor's comment about how um, any of these grand ideas that were proposed could have been done already and could still be done with the new um, code amendments with height restrictions. That has nothing to do with that. So the only reason for exemption would be for purposes that are not being disclosed, that were not laid out in this um, slideshow. Um, again, I think time is really of the essence, and I, I don't think uh, height limitation is, is going to negatively impact any real development or growth that's healthy for this community. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Barney. Is there anybody else that would like to address the Planning Commission this evening. For the record, my name is Steve Fick, PO715, Astoria, Oregon. Um, in all due respect, you've seen me here a lot, I'm not sure we know what we want. In this district, or the district that my property is in, I don't think we need to rush and do anything. We had a vision plan 10 years ago. Not a whole lot's changed from that. There's no tremendous rush. I think we should start defining what the principles we want so we have. We keep talking about um, we're going to have all this stuff that you got to have revenue to maintain this stuff over the water. I keep preaching that. And we can walk, you know, I see trails in front of everybody's place, you know. You can't even get a boat accessing a plant on some of the plants. I'm just saying, I really think we're struggling to know what we want. I think we should set back, really take a, a pensive look at where the port's at, uh, where the rest of the development. I think there's some general observations I'd make so that we maintain some of our waterfront, you know. As I've said before, there isn't a whole lot you can develop on the north side of the tracks now, anyway, the water restrictions are going to take care of itself on that. But just take it slow. I mean, it's like it's pushed because there is an agenda by some people to constrain everything. So we don't have flexibility in the future. And that's all I'm saying. I think we, we really did have a good waterfront plan 10 years ago that's been working, and I don't know why we got this big need to change everything again. So. Could somebody please give me a reason? I mean, Fairfield staff? Fairfield. Mm -hmm. yeah. Fairfield. 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 Fairfield.
Well, you know what? You guys let that happen. I didn't happen it, you know, if you don't want a fair field, then, you know, that's the other thing too, kind of, you know, these people that are gonna, and I'm not defending hotels, but any, I'm a capitalist. I've been a capitalist for 57 years. Since I was five years old, I was a capitalist. You take a risk. And when somebody's gonna throw millions of dollars out there, you know, they lose, they lose. They roll the dice and they lose, they lose. They win, they win. Hopefully it helps everybody. But I want, you know, here again, we're talking about, oh, we got everybody to come and feel good about our place and show me the money. We gotta make this individuals community here. We want to have middle income jobs that is going to provide for this community. We keep talking about we're going to have to all have all this low income housing. Let's, let's raise our expectations of ourselves. And whatever that might be, it's, it's not minimum wage jobs in my book, never has been. I want quality of life for this community. <coughs> And we keep talking about somebody stuck on this tourism moment. Yeah, it's a great venue as part of our economy. It's not our economy. So anyway, I, you, I appreciate you just take her slow. Out of curiosity, what do you pay your entry level workers? It depends on what my the person is. We don't have anybody that's at minimum wage. My even even people, seasonal people. Here's the other thing we do. You know, I'm. I'm in a struggling industry right now. It's always been a tough industry. You never know how much you're going to have, what you're going to pay for it, how much there's going to be, what the market's going to be. It's, it's very, it's worse than farming, you know. Uh, what I do for my, my, my people, we have retirement, we have vacation, I feed them lunch every day. Uh, we're above, we're actually in a lot of, a lot of uh, places, we're above the industry standards on, on wage on some of them for the job descriptions. I do the best I can, you know, on that. And I'm trying to do other things to help that. But here again, you know, I said it before, you know, you start tying people's hands and all this stuff and government knows what's best for capitalism necessarily. You gotta have a rain on it. You can't have people throwing battery acid in the river. I got no problem with that. But you gotta you gotta have a little flexibility. I mean, there will be a point where there's the hotel guys are going to say that thing, that don't make sense for us here. And they're not going to do it. But maybe the widget factory guy says, hey, you know what? I'd like to come to Astoria and build widgets. You know, we got some good industries here. We're going to have some more as livability issues change for a lot of industry and technology changes. So just, you know, don't wrap it up. I mean, we've got time to figure this out. I mean, there's some people that just, don't, they want to have specific change, and they'd love to see parts of things not even exist. They're, they're good businesses here. So, something's got to pay the light bill. Thank you, Mr. Pick. You bet. Sorry, my question would like to address the Planning Commission this evening. Mike Sensenbach, uh, 110 Kensington. Um, I think that we are here this evening and we do need to move this forward. I, I, I would hope that you guys would take the time this evening to give Rosemary the direction she needs to get any amendments um, written up to <coughs> come
come back to the Planning Commission to be recommended to City Council um, at the next meeting. Um, as somebody who sat through all but one of the Fairfield hearings, whether it's design review, HLC, City Council, I was there, I, I heard hours of public testimony um, why we didn't <coughs> want the Fairfield in um, to be approved. Hundreds of pages of written testimony were presented to design review, HLC, City Council. And it came down to three votes past the Fairfield Inn, and it and is in the works now. So we've heard from City Council. It seems that there's at least a majority of the City Council that favors these height restrictions that you guys are talking about um, and any limiting size restrictions um, to preserve the views and, and the waterfront for us, for the community that lives here. Um, so that's why we're all here this evening and we'd like to see you guys move forward um, as, as quickly as possible. The further it gets delayed, um, the more of a chance that we have another application coming through. If we push this off and then city council pushes it off, more continuances are asked for. I mean, it could, I mean, we could be sitting here a year from now without any amendments being passed and, you know, how many more applications for new hotels or, or any other major obstruction to our, our waterfronts could come up in, in the amount of time that this could keep getting delayed. So. Um, if there isn't any legal reasons for it to be delayed any further, I'd, I'd like to see, see you guys get, give your recommendations this evening. And um, I very much appreciate all the time that you guys have put in and all of the rest of the city council, every other HLC design review, everybody that's put time into this, I, I really appreciate it. And you know, I'll, be here to support the community and your guys' recommendations moving forward for the for these changes. So, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Sensabaugh. Would anybody else like to address? Is there anybody that hasn't addressed? <laughs> <laughs> Is there anybody else that would like to address the planning commission this evening? Okay. So, Planner Johnson, we're keeping the public hearing open. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because now I need direction from you so that you can come up with a document that they, the public still has a chance to respond to. Okay. But at this point, we don't have a document to that's being discussed. It's just a draft working. Okay. It still needs fine-tuning by your direction. Great. Thank you. So it's 8.40. We're going to recess. We'll be back in six minutes.
with the recommendation that it be 28 feet with an allowance for a variance for water dependent and water related uses up to 35 feet and with uh, setbacks or step backs remember first floor 15 feet step back 10 feet and then you can go higher so anything over um, 28 feet you would have to have 15 foot and then step back to do your 35 um, and then an exception that if you were going to do affordable housing, multifamily housing, that you could go automatically the 35 feet without a variance. So talking about just height, not talking about planned districts, do you think that proposal sounds good? 28, variance to 35, um, and step backs and an exemption for housing to 35. Okay, great. Thank now you. Now that's the first question. We'll take it just a bunch of questions. First portion, Greg. Um, okay, so the first item again, I have variance, step backs, housing. What was the first item? Um, the first would be 28 feet with variance to 35. You would allow the extra height if it did step backs. Uh, you would allow exception for water dependent, water related uses up to 35 feet over water without a variance. You would allow housing on land if it was uh, affordable housing with limitations and years and things up to 35 feet automatic. And that's a, the real basis of it. This would be bridge vista, second to port. So we'll just talk about that little area and not talking about the plan district yet. So just overall, would that be what you want? 28, variance to 35. Great. Thank you. Okay. And then we'll Commissioner Moore start. He, you know, had some ideas at the last meeting that kind of got us to where we are here. So I will allow Mr. Moore to address us with his thoughts. Oh, thank you, Mr. President. Um, Planner Johnson, could you remind me and other people who may not remember? Currently in BVO, the overlay doesn't um, adjust heights, right? It's just using base heights currently. No, it. Uh, the BVO set a height of 35 with allowable variance to 45. Okay, in all the in all the zones that it covers. In all the zones, right? Okay. All right. So to address Senator um, Johnson's questions, I would say briefly that uh, I'm fine with heights at 35 feet. I don't. Um, I'm not totally attached to variances to go higher. Uh, I don't think, as I've said before, the step backs are necessary. And I'm not a fan of, I guess we're not talking about building mass yet, and I'll get, I'll get to that. Um, but did you want to get everyone's opinions on those short items before I talked about I this would, item? Yeah. Okay. 
So that, that's where I stand. I'm fine with 35 foot heights, no variances for any reasons, uh, no step backs. That's where I stand on that. So you're not saying 28, you're just saying do it across the board 35. Yeah, those, those okay. I just haven't, you know, found any support for lowering the heights anywhere in the code. Thank you, Commissioner Moore. Commissioner Price. If you're not ready I'm ready, to, no, I'm ready to, to say, I guess I'm ready. Um, I... I, I find it almost impossible to talk about height without talking about mass, um, because that to me is the kicker. Okay. So as for 35 feet, um, 35 feet, 30,000 square feet, no. 28 feet, 30,000 square feet, no. Over water, no. No. <laughs> no over water. No development other than repurposed over bank height. Thank you, Commissioner Price. Commissioner Henry. Um, I'd like to start with a question for staff. Um, forgive me if I'm not as uh, fresh-minded today as I should be, but could you please give us some examples of water-related water uses. I understand the definition of water-dependent use. Water-related is a use that needs to be located close to the water-dependent, such as uh, bait and tackle sales, um, England Marine Supply that is supplying uh, products to the ships that are right there at the port. So it's people who are mostly providing services or products to the water dependent. That's kind of what related. They don't have to be located on the water, but because of the location on the water, close in proximity to the services or their customers, such as ships. Okay, thank you. All right, so to answer the questions, um, I am a proponent of the 28-foot max height, um, with exceptions up to 35 feet. Um, I understand that affordable housing would automatically go to 35 feet. Um, I'm sorry, if you're on that one, I, I'd probably feel a little more comfortable if it were a variance, but um, I'd be curious to hear other commissioners weigh in on that particular detail. Um, Water-dependent uses, exceptions up to 30 feet for 35 feet for water-dependent uses, um, that's a variance. I would agree with that. And as for water-related, I'm sort of iffy on the water-related because I don't know if 35 feet is really necessary uh, for water-related. And um, I'd like to probably re-review the list of what qualifies as water-related if we're um, going up to 35 feet on that. I also think that step backs, they may not be as elegant and traditional looking as the architecture uh, in Astoria traditionally, but I think that step backs are actually probably pretty helpful with our um, massing and corridor issues. So I would, I would be in favor of step backs.
I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Corcoran. Sure. I guess uh, for the bridge vista overlay zone, I'm comfortable with 28 feet with the uh, provisions as we've described for the moderate income housing um, and uh, variance to 35. Um, the variance over the water for water-related uses. A question, we're, we're staying. Sorry. Water-related and water-dependent, or just water-related? Dependent, for sure. Okay. <laughs> and I'll leave it at dependent. Okay. For, for, for very marine-oriented uses, the ability to use that in that way is something that I'm okay with. Not sure about water-related. I'd like a high bar for water-dependent, per person. I, we can wiggle if there's some consensus. But the idea would be for water, for, for fishing or other kind of uh, traditional industrial uses that needed to have a mechanism in order to do their work. I think that would be something I would like to have uh, flexibility on for that community. Okay. Was there, there seems to be something else. Oh, there's still some. Setbacks. Setbacks, yes. I mean, we have some other ideas. For the important thing for me is the visual corridors. And so step backs are one way to get that, but we also have some other ideas of how you know buildings can be on parcels that allow visual space between the buildings that aren't necessarily step backs. So I guess I'm in a bit of a quandary there. Um, and I'm not sure what guidance I can either ask you for or you give on that. Um, I, if there's no other mechanism other than step backs to give a visual order, that would be something I would be supportive of up with other ideas to maintain visual corridors with the more vernacular looking buildings, that would be something I would be even more supportive of. <clears throat> That's all. Thank you, Commissioner Corcoran. Commissioner Womack, I did not forget you. Actually, I did, but I Well, surprisingly enough, I'm not in agreement with everyone. Uh, I, I personally do not think that there's a reason why we need to have variances up to the 35 feet um, for those special uh, circumstances. I, I think it would be better to have just 35 feet as the maximum. I'm actually in agreement with Commissioner Moore here um, for all of the reasons that actually people even had comments today about uh, development that might come in the future, these creative developments, creative industries that come into the into a story that we do not know what those are. And if we specifically say only these specific uses of that area, it's with no variance, then there's no possibility for those particular type of projects that could come in um, that could be built um, without the ability of variance. So I'm, I'm much more in support of just the 35 foot um, height um, with some more creativity uh, the view corridors and maybe the building mass and size. And I, I mentioned at the last meeting that I didn't want to see 20-foot structures that were just whales on the waterfront either, um, which realistically, you can have a 20-foot building that's um, height, and they're going to still want the square footage, so now we have more lost view of the river, uh, even with corridors, than if that same building was 35-foot height. And, and down in this, especially down in this particular area, um, I know everyone's talking about um, views that are blocked and areas that are blocked, but um, again, 
that blocks up the up the hill. You're not going to be blocked. You're not going to see an appreciable difference between 23, 20 feet and 35 feet. Um, that's my belief. Um, and and on terms of stepbacks, uh, I'm kind of ambivalent about that. Either way. Thank you, Commissioner Womack. So then I would guess that I'm something of a hybrid here. Um, what we had in front of us, I was generally in agreement with um, the, uh, the affordable housing and the water dependent and so on. The, um, I just don't see, and I would agree with Commissioner Womack here, I, I just don't see the, the reasoning for limiting something to 35 or to 28 feet. I don't see it in the comprehensive plan that that's what we're supposed to do. And I think um, while Mr. Womack or Commissioner Womack was speaking, he and I have a, a slightly different perspective having lived up the hill and having views and recognizing that the difference between a 35 foot building and a 45 foot building and a 28 foot building really doesn't change your view from up on the hill. Um, and if we are trying to, if we do have a concern about massing, a 28 foot tall building is going to have a larger footprint uh, than a 35 foot building having the same square footage. So, did I answer all of them? Uh, step back. Um, I'm fine with step backs. Mr. Yeah. President, can I follow up now with um, my remarks from last meeting that kind of led us to here? Because sure. I, I had one more question for over oh. Claire Johnson, though. Okay. So, on a step back, if we get a building that goes up to a certain point and then it's going to step back, can there be a pitch rip in between? Uh, because the examples we've seen have have not had that. And then they say no balconies, which to me it looks like you've got a balcony, but you're not quite allowed to be used as a balcony. Is there going to be a pitch in between going up? As we've seen on the Camry Pier Hotel. Right. What you have is you would go up 15 feet. Then you would have to come in 10 to go up more. Now you can have a pitch roof up here that would just come down as long as the area in that 10 foot doesn't include roof or balcony. Now at 15 feet high, you can have a balcony down here so that your balcony is lower than the 15 feet and here's where your, your railing and your covering may be. So you can have that same 11 foot high building with a four foot railing. So your decking would be at 11 feet, but your step back for nothing to be in that area starts at 15 feet. Does that make sense? So it, you basically, you wouldn't have your decking or your, your balcony start at 15 feet because then you would have your railing that comes up higher. So, yeah, so, so my question is more, and I'll back up just a little bit, when, as Mr. Sensenbach pointed out at a previous meeting, the height of the building is based, and you have a pitched roof, it's okay. the average. So are we talking on these step backs, are we talking about a pitched roof going, you, you go to a certain point and then it's a pitched roof and then you go up from there? Or 
how how are we determining the height and and what happens and what can happen in the step back or what are okay. we proposing for that? A pitch proof, the height is measured to the midpoint between the eave, the eave and the ridge. So if you're looking at a pitch roof at the top, or are you questioning a pitch roof on the, the first 15 foot? So what, is, what is, so what he's referring to is, is if there was a step back, can you have a pitched roof on the side? So the answer, would, the answer would be that as long as the midpoint on the pitched roof was, was more than 10 feet, you have to have that 10 foot it, it really comes down to a design issue. So could you have a pitch roof and a step back? Um, it could not in, be impeded by the step back, but the midpoint on a pitch roof, if this was 10 feet, then... It would have to be the 10 feet back. Right, right. But it would have to be the... I mean, it's, I, mean, I don't think that the, the pitch roof would count. You know, the pitch roof would count completely because we're saying no awnings or right, anything. Right, right, but there's so some, that ten but, feet couldn't have anything. Right, right, but as long as it's ten feet, ten feet back, ten feet back, there is not anything that can could be within the step back area within that ten foot range. Could it be measured to a pitch roof, perhaps, <laughs> but again, this is. This is a case where you're, there are going to be design scenarios that are going to come up all the time, but the clearest thing to say is with the step back concept, there would be nothing within that step back. What Ms. Johnson was talking about is there may be a case where there's where you measure up to the top of the railing of a balcony, and then you, know, you don't have that balcony railing within the step back area. Is what is proposed by this question. Okay. I, I just want to be clear that if what we're if we are talking about a midpoint or something along there, because again, I'm picturing how the Cannery Pier has right. has portions of the building that come out that pitch up to the larger portion of the building. And none of the pitched roof could be within that ten foot step step back. Above 20 feet or 30 feet. If you go 15 feet and then have a pitched roof, you know, you're coming up like this, this is your 15 feet. This first 10 feet could not include any of the roof. That 10 feet has to be open. Yeah. Completely open. The principle is to see. Right. So you don't want anything blocking within that first 10 feet. So your, your pitch group would have to step would have to step back and Okay, thank you. Commissioner Moore. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, so at our last meeting, I brought up this idea of instead of building massing and building heights being uh, the the issue to discuss that that I, I think the real problem or the real concern that people have is building widths. So when we're driving down Marine Drive and we pass Swimming Hall, we're, we're fine with it. It's a tall building, but it's not very long. When we drive by the Holiday Inn, we're like, that kind of blocks the river because it's 160 feet long. And then when we're going to drive by the Fairfield, it's going to be 200 feet long and we're going to not like it. 
And when we drive by Astoria Warehousing, it's 900 feet of 28-foot tall buildings, right? With one little driveway in the middle. You can't see anything. There's no corridor. So to me, the issue isn't necessarily height. And you know, I've, I've made a concession on height. I think 45 feet is fine, as long as the buildings are narrow. But I'm fine with going to 35 feet. So my primary concern is that as has been voiced by a couple other commissioners here, that long buildings are the ones that we should be concerned about. Long east-west buildings. Right, long as the parallel to Marine Drive. I don't have any problem with a 90 by 180 foot building being built on the Astoria warehousing site, for example, if the 90 feet is along Marine Drive. They could still have a 17,000 square foot per floor building, three stories high, get 50,000 square feet in one building, it's only going to be 90 feet long on Marine Drive. So what I had proposed is that we do a 90-60. Like we have over the water, we have a 60% um, coverage on overwater construction to make sure we have view corridors. I would suggest the same for uh, in BBO, where the maximum building width that runs along Marine Drive, so parallel to Marine Drive, would be 90 feet. And um, <coughs> excuse me, the maximum um, lot coverage, not, not lot coverage, but lot width coverage along the parallel to Marine Drive would be 60%. So if you have a 90-foot building, you would need 60 feet of open space along with it. So, as an example, I gave the commissioners here some drawings. Um, these are some of the lot sizes, some of the parcel sizes in the port areas. There's a roughly 200 by 400 uh, foot parcel, for example. You could build three pretty substantial buildings on that 400 by 200 foot lot. Two 90 foot wide by 180 foot deep buildings, and one 50 by 100 building in the middle, for example. Uh, if you went three stories high on that, that's well, yeah, 120,000 square feet on an 80,000 square foot lot, and you still have 120 feet of river view going through that 400 foot wide lot. And then likewise, there was a 200 by 200 that had two buildings on it, and a 100 by 200. This is for others, if you haven't seen. You can see it. Just for, just, these are just examples of how something like this could potentially open up views to the river while not necessarily restricting um, too much what, what could be done on these properties. Uh, there's still a lot of opportunity for warehousing or industry to build uh, large buildings that can be useful. It may actually dissuade hotel development on some level because hotels have a tendency to want to be parallel to the river, of course. Um, that you just wouldn't be able to build a building like that. So for me, this is why height isn't as big of an issue. Why I don't like uh, coming up with an arbitrary fixed building massing number because unlike in the urban core where the lots are a little bit more uniform, maybe building massing makes sense. Down here in the port and the warehousing properties, there's there's huge parcels and there's small parcels and whatever. Having a fixed number for a parcel or for a development doesn't make as much sense. So 
anyway, this, so this is where I am. So the, the, the rules, if you will, would be maximum building width of 90 feet, um, not, but could not uh, extend beyond 60% of the width of the development. So not necessarily the parcel, but the development. Um, the, all, or the sum width of the buildings couldn't exceed 60% of the sum width of the parcels. Um, so that, that's where I um, wanted to go and see what, what the commission thought of this. I think it addresses the primary concerns of the public of having big massive structures that block the view of the river for long periods of time while you're moving down uh, the road. Uh, the second page that I showed, I went through the riverfront vision plan. I don't know if, did you get me to do this? So, this was justification. So I went through the riverfront vision plan and through the comp plan and found, found support for this plan just to make sure that, that I wasn't suggesting something that didn't make any sense for Astoria, but um, I found a decent amount of support for something like this in the port areas. <coughs> so if uh, y'all would like to discuss this or you know, improve it or talk about it or tell me to leave, <laughs> you, know, you feel free. <laughs> it appears to be you. This is used in uh, some of the riverfront visions for the water side of the property, but we did have them on the land side. So this is a concept you already have in the code that could be applied. The other thing, um, not to complicate, but to, to think about also, since this is now talked of mass and scale, is the concept of the floor-to-area ratio, which would also get into some of these concepts also where you would have a certain, um, if, if you had, like you were saying, a 28 foot high, one story, a floor to area ratio, you could go higher, but you couldn't go higher at the same width. So it keeps your buildings narrower the higher you go. So it's, it's a similar concept, but this mm -hmm. one has some maximums. So those are both concepts you can of the 60% uh, maximum 90 wide, you could have any size building up to your maximum height of whatever you decide on. With the floor to area ratio, you could have these same concepts, but then limit the mass of the building by an additional floor to area ratio that would exceed, would not exceed a certain amount. Right, right. For example, <coughs> we have like in the over uh, the uh, the overlay over there by the hospital. <laughs> Gateway overlay, that was the word I couldn't remember. Uh, we have a one, one to one, right? And so on an 80,000 square foot lot, you could build as much building as you wanted, 90 feet wide, as long as it didn't take up more than 60% of the width up to 80,000 square feet of building. Where this example is like 120,000 square feet of building. So it would limit, if we did a, some kind of FAR, it would, it would limit how much building you could build. I, you know, maintain that the primary concern is just being able to see the water and, 
as you're moving down the road and as long as we have these corridors. You know, one thing about the, the port, or not the uh, asteroid warehousing property is we have a thousand feet of no right-of-ways. So there's, you can't, where you move farther uptown, we have, at least we have roads that we can look down and see the river and there's, in this area, there's, there's nothing. And so, um, it's kind of what motivated is, is to insert these corridors in, into these properties while still allowing substantial development potential for industry or um, commerce. So I'm, I'm less interested in Florida area ratios because I think the primary concern is not having long buildings, but I'm certainly open to it if others thought that that was important. Because I think just limiting to 60% automatically restricts Right. So. May I ask some questions? Commissioner Henry. Okay, um, Daryl, I have some questions for you, Commissioner Moore. Um, could you tell us about where you got the 90-foot width, or where that came from? Thin air. Uh, it it actually was a, uh, the I wanted a 60-foot view corridor because that's typical of where we have other view corridors in town and then this, with the 60% over the water the math worked out to a 90 foot building because they can be a 3 to reach the ratio of building to corridor. Okay, um, so then I think you can answer my second question which is are you suggesting swapping height for width or, or are you talking about the height of um, well, you discussed my question, but I don't think you answered it. So are you suggesting like a floor area ratio where we can swap height for width? Or are you suggesting that the height maximum be, was it 35 feet no matter what? Yeah, I was in favor of just 35 feet. And, and again, I, I'm fine with 45 feet also, but I don't think there's support for that. I, I really think the building width is, is the sticker here. When I drive by the footings of the Astoria, the Megler Bridge, the height of those footings don't bother me at all. They're 160 feet tall, and but you know they're only 45 feet yeah. wide, so yeah. you don't really notice. Okay. And then the plan districts would the plan districts still fit into this approach, or would this just cover the whole BVO and? As some of the public has stated. Um, there's a lot of concern about getting something in that solves the problem of losing the river view. So I would like to see this or something that solves that problem um, certainly added or you know move forward. And I am also open to plan districts on top of that that could affect this. This would be something that could potentially be affected by these plan districts if the commission thought that was good to recommend, or not. Or we could still keep these requirements in the plan district and allow uses or some other changes. Um, okay. Something we would, I would expect we would talk about later. Any other questions or comments? Councilor Price, Commissioner Price. Thank you. I'm interested in the question that's just been handed to uh, to Mr. Estes because uh, we've heard some interesting comments from um, Mr. Grillo. Thank you. 
was going to call you Gosling. I don't know why. Because Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Who doesn't want some Ryan Gosling? But anyway. Um, the, the, the question was, um, what about partial redevelopment? What happens in cases of partial redevelopment? So, of course. If I could just address the just just what uh, Commissioner Moore just said first, and then the, which there's no ink involved in this. Um, I I like this idea. I think that it does solve um, some of my concerns. And uh, if if uh, I have been thinking about it, I haven't heard any <coughs> real drawbacks to it yet that I see from a public point of view. But of course, they haven't had a chance to. Discuss this yet? But view um, is essential. Um, I with with the sixty percent coverage, I would be happy. I would be okay with thirty five feet because, as I've said before, I don't think that any of us visually can see the difference between twenty eight and thirty five feet from any place we are. Um, so thirty five feet, I would even say no. Um, set step setbacks stepbacks and uh, no variances and on land I still remain opposed to overwater development I just think that is really contrary to what uh, we've been hearing for years and years other than repurposing but for shoreland this uh, at this moment makes um, much more sense to me and, and uh, solves the big problem of the whales I guess before I prepare to have a comment, I guess I like this idea proposed better than I like step backs and is a way to get to the visual without question. Um, as far as all of a sudden 35 all the way uh, across has been proposed with this kind of design, which I'm still thinking about, um, whether this would be continued into any consideration of a plan development is what I'm thinking about right now. Because it could be part of any plan development would be to orient buildings as described here and then go nuts in your plan development, but with those particular directions remaining. <coughs> um, I guess I don't have a comment. I just have to talk back through. Thank you very much, President. Thank you, Commissioner Parker. Commissioner Moore. Commissioner Moore, uh, these specific standards that you're recommending, how would these have changed uh, the past development that was just uh, passed for the Fairfield? Well, if that, that building is going to be substantially longer than 90 feet. So that's probably the key there when we're driving by that building, we would have driven by two 90-foot buildings. So you can say that this uh, particular plan would uh, prohibit um, the, the building of some of these structures? Well, it won't prohibit. prohibit. You could, it wouldn't prohibit a hotel being put in. It wouldn't prohibit a hotel of the size of the Fairfield going in, but it would prohibit the orientation of the Fairfield. And as I mentioned before, it would probably discourage some hotel slash resort, resort development because there'll be less uh, availability of over river views. Um, and that's, that's a consideration to, you know, to think about. 
if, if we want to recommend uh, site design or site requirements that, that would discourage that kind of use. Um, Chair Fitzpatrick, can I pick at that a little bit, that question? Because I, I don't know that I agree with Commissioner Moore's answer um, with the scenario. Um, in that the Fairfield Inn project um, did not have direct frontage on Marine Drive um, where the length of the building went along the Riverwalk because there are, there's development uh, south of um, the lot that was owned by the Fairfield developer. So if this is, is are you, I guess I'm trying to understand, are you looking at this so that it, it is measured off of Marine Drive, or is it measured based upon the width of the frontage? Because, it's, because I'm, the, the frontage on this, on this parcel is actually the side street. It had an L shape. On which, oh, you're talking about the Fairfield. Yeah, I, I took this question as, as a hypothetical if in, like, could you build a Fairfield on the lots on the, the uh, warehousing property, which okay. does front on Marine Drive? So you're right that it, in, if, if we required only Marine Drive fronting properties right. to be you know, affected by this, then it wouldn't have affected that particular development. Yeah. But I think the point what he was trying to get at is um, then it would, would have led to a narrower profile if it was affected by um, restrictions like this. Yeah, I guess the, I mean, if this is an approach that the Planning Commission was wanting staff to explore, we would need to go through and run through some different scenarios. <clears throat> yeah, we'd have to address the issue of lots that don't front Marine Drive, but you still want this uh, north-south uh, orientation versus the east-west orientation. So that would, I have to get creative in how that's written in some mm -hmm. different scenarios just to make sure how it would be applied to different lots. Sure. Yeah, that's a really good point. Thank you yeah. for pointing that that's out. Um, because, yes, I mean, my interest in it, certainly, I mean, we're talking about views of the river. So wherever the frontage is, it's from Marine Drive to, to the river, nothing more than 90 feet. And I want to just kind of address, you know, my preliminary thoughts upon, you know, the question about what about partial redevelopment. Yeah, I mean, we're, we would have to come up with some language <coughs> in terms of how that would be dealt with. I, I don't want to have anything that mandates or requires demolishing existing building. I mean, and I, I, I think that goes counter to what, um, you know, we try to strive for, which is reuse of existing buildings. Uh, but I think there would have to be some sort of language built into the code which would state, um, you know, if there was redevelopment, that there was some area or something. I mean, to be able to calculate that that area, I, we would have to come up with some some different proposal at least. So, well, we have to, <coughs> excuse me, we have to look at this the cumulative. <coughs> if you come in and you're going to redevelop part of the site, but you have other existing buildings that are going to remain. You don't want to come in the next year and redo those with the exception and then another year to the other one. So there have to be some way that we write the code so that 
you're not just stepping around the code by mm -hmm. just developing portions. So it's, it gets a little more complicated in the way we write the code, but it's doable. So I had a couple of thoughts. Um, uh, one of those is stating that it would be perpendicular to the, to the water rather than worrying about marine drive. Um, for perspective, um, for other commissioners and people in the audience, this block between the edge of City Hall here and the library is 200 feet. So a 90 foot would be this building and most of the the hotel next door, or about the equivalent of 45% of the block here. And, uh, and this block over here, I believe, is 300 and something feet. But anyhow, so 90 feet isn't an extremely wide building. Um, the 60 foot view corridor is about what we have between City Park and Godfather's books. And 60 feet is a right of way. So that street, 12 feet, there, 60 feet wide. So, so if we've got 90 feet and then 60 feet, you've got less than the distance of this block, less than half the distance of this block and the space that we have as we walk down 11th Street, looking down the corridor there. And I think it's helpful for me to recall, but I think that thinking about this the schematic was for the Astoria warehousing property in particular. It made the most sense to me when, when, when applied to that where Marine Drive is right there. In areas where it is not, it is the, the complications that have come up. So as I was thinking about this, it was a solution to sort of the Astoria warehousing sort of challenge, primarily um, applicable, uh, applying it to other BBO areas, I guess, brings up other issues that I hadn't considered. So part of me wants to think about, like, this is a good uh, Astoria warehousing Kind of piece of thought to go forward for any kind of planned unit development. Um, as I'm thinking about the usefulness and appropriateness of the Astoria warehousing area, it, it has uh, saliency for me there. Probably primarily there and maybe more there than elsewhere. If I could follow up, I, I wanted to be clear that, that this was intended to be a principle for BBO and while the Astoria warehousing site might be a good example of how it would apply, it was not, it's not intended to apply to any specific location. <coughs> um, it's, it's intended to address the concerns of long buildings on the waterfront, which is what the public has shown disdain and concern. Right. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. And also specifically because we don't know what's going to happen with that story of warehousing. I mean, someone just may want to repurpose those buildings or just buy them and keep them exactly as they are or take down one building or, you know, do something. So I'm really not sure how applicable this is to specifically to asteroid warehousing unless they decide to raise all the buildings and come into something totally different or maybe use one of the buildings and have to leave, leave uh, these view quarters and 60% of the property since the project. Figuring that out. But, yeah. <coughs> Thank you, Commissioner Price. Thank you. Any other comments from the Commissioner Henry? I have just one comment. Um, I don't want to muddy the waters here, but it seems like we're just 
I like I like this idea. I, I think it's a, a pretty good suggestion because the, the question of mass, where we, we have, you know, this is sort of, sort of a segue to hide into mass, but we haven't really gotten into discussing mass yet, but I, I have been concerned about mass. I just want to say that, um, for the sake of argument, I, I am in favor of discussing floor area ratios too, and not just having uh, an absolute um, height allowance as long as the buildings are, are only 90 feet long. I think there is a, sort of an east-west view depending on the, I realize we're in the Bridge Vista overlay and it's a very specific area, um, but you know, there, are, there are views to the west. And um, <coughs> so I, there, there may be instances where it'd be useful to limit um, building width running north-south. And I've historically been sort of a, more in favor of swapping height for width and not just allowing that height and um, without restricting width. So, so I like this plan, and, and to be succinct, I like, this, I like this proposal, but I'd also be curious to know if other people are in favor of a floor area ratio, or if everybody wants to just go with this as a straight up um, approach. We have um, the widths yeah. for certain lots and how wide you have to have okay. two quarters. So even in this zone itself, yeah. over, over water. water. So there's precedence in the code. Do we have precedence in the code for floor area, area ratios too? In the um, gateway area uh, overlay zone, which is the um, the hospital limit right. on that area. Leonard Johnson, what other questions would you like us to answer this evening? Okay, well, I think with this discussion that we just had, that pretty much takes care of the discussion of mass, because I think this, with potential floor area ratio or, or not, will get at your mass issue, so I'll draft up something there. So then the next question is, let's go one plan district at a time, Astoria Warehousing. Um, First question, do you like the concept of a planned district for this worker housing? Again, a planned district just allows them the opportunity to come in in the future if they have a master plan for the entire area. They come in with a master plan. We would have to review that through the public process and accept their master plan with then discussing the proposed exceptions. Maybe they're saying we want to go 45 feet, but we'll give you less width or something like that. Or they want to add a use or uh, change of viewpoint somehow. They would come in at the time of their master plan, and that would all have to be vetted through the public review process. And then you determine whether to accept their master plan and accept or grant those new code changes for the exceptions. Okay, we'll make sure that's real clear. They're not, you're not giving them anything at this point. Just the ability to come in for that master plan. Okay. 
But to clarify, until then, they would fall under the same guidelines. Until that change occurs, they would have to comply with this. They would have to have a master plan adopted, the new zone changes, and then each project would have to come in for its own review. So it still have that two-step process. Um, and then with a master plan, what limitations do you want to put on what they can do? And as I said in the story of warehousing, um, do you want to allow them to add uses, change building height, change modifications to view quarters, building size and footprint, and if we're looking at this 60% or 90 foot width, they could even come in and ask for an exception to that. And then I would recommend that limitation areas still apply because there's one limitation area in that area. So it would say that limitation areas shall remain as limitation with the existing standards. So <clears throat> the question would be, do you like the concept? Do you want to put limitations on it such as they can change building height to a maximum of 45 or whatever? So you could set a maximum that they could go to or just leave it open. So those are kind of the basic two concepts you gotta decide. Do you like it and do you want to put any limitations on it? Um, you know, I think I'll allow the other commissioners. I do have a couple questions, but I'll allow the other commissioners to go first. And Cindy Price, you seem to be ready to ask. So, um, just to clarify, uh, nothing could be, if we allow this master plan in these areas, nothing can be done there until they bring the master plan before and it is approved, etc. They could develop based on your bridge vista overlay zone that you adopt. Period. But right. nothing else. Okay. Nothing else until they come in and get the master plan approved right. and approved master. It's an alternate. It's an alternative. Got it. Right. So, and if we were to decide that we didn't want to put any limitations on height, for instance, but a project comes in and there's a, it's, let's just say it's 38 feet or 58 feet, whatever it is, over the 35. Uh, and and uh, the planning commission doesn't like it. What is the basis by which we could say no to that? They would have if if under the current or the bridge vista that you adopt, the plan district hasn't been adopted. They haven't brought in a master plan, so they're bringing in a project under the code as it was adopted. Mm -hmm. Maximum height is 35 feet, 60 percent width or whatever. If they want an exception to that, they have to apply for a variance, and they have to meet the criteria of a variance. And remember, there's got to be a hardship. It has to uh, not impact differently. I mean, there's all the criteria for a variance, and they have to meet all of those. It can't be just that they want it. Okay. But under the master plan, let's assume okay. they come with a master plan that has all kinds of variances and and. Uh, we just don't like it. Do we okay. have, uh, what is our authority for saying no? Okay, if they come in with a master plan and you don't like their master plan, mm -hmm. you can just say, no, we're not going to adopt that overlay. We don't agree with this master plan. It's, it, we have it built in here. Uh, it says, um, it has to have special characteristics or problems of a natural, economic, historic, public facility or transitional land use or development nature 
which are not common to other areas of bridge vision. So first, there has to be a reason for it. The existing base and overlay zone provisions are inadequate to achieve a desired public benefit as identified by the city council and or to address identified needs or problems in the area. So again, it's got to be a need, public need, not just their need for economics. The proposed plan district and regulations result from a plan documenting the special characteristics or problems of the area and explain how the district will address relevant issues. So you've got several things, and then the regulations of the plan district need to conform to the comprehensive plan, do not prohibit or limit uses or development allowed by the base zone without clear justification. So you've got steps there as to why you accept their master plan. So if they don't comply with these, right. then you don't have to approve their master plan. Okay, and then once, just one final question, thank you. Once accepted, adopted a, a master plan, uh, how many opportunities does the entity have to come back and say, we want to change this, that, and the other? As and many as they want, huh? And just like any development code change, uh -huh. it would be an adoption into the development code. If you look here, I even have a section reserved for the plan district regulations. Yes. The codes are going to go in there when the plan district is approved. So they would come in with their plan district. Let's say there is a need, and the city council says, yes, we do want to go with this plan district. At that same time, they're going to say, these are the exceptions we would like to build into the code. We want to say buildings can go to 45 foot high with a 60% width. Um, no more than 90 feet, maybe they say, well, we want it maximum of 100 if the lot is so big. Uh, they may also say that um, they want smaller view corridors for portions of the lot. So at the time you adopt that plan, then you're also writing those codes, okay? And then they have to comply with those codes. Again, you would write, you, they would have to come in for a variance if they're going to get exceptions from those codes. So it's basically a, a overlay to the overlay zone. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thanks. I would like to make clear <coughs> for the people that might come in, uh, Mr. Grillo or Mr. Knight with the plan, that uh, I want them to leave here tonight or at the end of, of this discussion understanding that they're not going to come in and suggest something 65 feet tall or 100,000 square foot building or something that it's, it's got to be along the same rules as everybody else in the BBO, but we're willing to consider something that they come in with that would be different, but we're not saying it's it's wide open. I, I don't want to have a misunderstanding where they come back and say we were led to believe that we could go as high as we wanted if we gave something up. And that's where I said one of the things you might want to consider is maximums. If you don't want any building in Astoria higher than 45 feet, then you should state that here or say 45 feet with variances no higher than 50 or 54. You know, you could put those numbers in here now so that the plan district has limitations so that they know coming into it because you may be picking those limitations but the next commission may not. Any code can be changed, so that could be changed in the future. 
but that gives clear direction to the applicant as to what you intend by this. So how do the commissioners feel about a high limit and what can that be? Prepare to move forward on a, on a uh, district. I, I'm fine, as I've said before, with 45 feet if um, there's a concession on, on view corridors. So if, if we still impose the 60% width, then if they want to go higher, then maybe we require 70%. I don't know. Or 50%. Wait, which, which one? Here we go. But, um, I mean, in all honesty, if, if there's a need, if they can demonstrate a need to go 45 feet, I'm fine with going 45 feet. I, I don't know what that need would be, but... So height-wise, I'm fine going, but it doesn't need to be over 45. Commissioner Wolman. I have a question for staff. Uh, how would this relate to the port's potential investment to come in and tear down the existing hotel and put a new one up in its place, which is definitely longer, not you know, the property that's in the, in the boundary of that location? There is an exception written in the code currently that says that the uh, hotel at the port can be redeveloped and because it's built over water, so that was the exception to an overwater hotel. Right now, under the existing code, overwater hotels are prohibited. However, there is an exception that was requested by the port when we did the bridge vista over the last time to allow that to be able to happen. I think some of these provisions we're looking at, you know, could come into play in terms of if they did tear down the Riverwalk and. You know, could they rebuild with the same footprint? Probably not under the existing code. Or, or in the proposed code. Both. So, so would that be so that be a potential that they that we're going to be closing the pool with the ability for a variance if they came back and, and said that they wanted someone to do that? Would that make it so they couldn't potentially that, that investor kind of come in and do something like that? You have to look at it and see what uh, how that can be written. You can write the exception in for that still that says that east-west building can be rebuilt with an east-west orientation. I mean, there's ways to write that in. You need to just make sure what your intent is. So, I don't relate really to the height. Um, that was my question about the height. I, I, I'm uh, 45. I think that uh, 30. The 35 feet with the variance to 45. Um, a maximum at 45. Or we can do 45 with the, with the variance to 54. I, I, I'm pretty open. Um, but I, 45, yeah. Okay. Other commissioners? Here's 71. I'd like to answer the questions. I like the concept of the planning districts. Oh, this is Commissioner Henry speaking. I like the the planning districts. I think uh, we brought that up as a proposal for a reason, and I still think we need it. Um, other limitations, you, you asked if we should impose other limitations or other allowances, and I just can't answer that question right now. <laughs> but um, setting mass Setting a maximum building mass, I think, is important. So I think there should be a maximum floor area ratio 
if we're going to allow extra height, I think we, uh, I mean, I, I could be wrong, because I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud right now. I, I haven't, you know, had a chance to really sit down and think it through, but I feel like there should probably be either a maximum building mass or maximum floor area ratio. I realize that the story of warehousing property is really big, um, and that's why we are within planning district. But I, I still think there should probably be some maximums. And as for maximum height, um, so without a master plan, the code would apply. And they'd be applying for variances. I definitely hesitate to, to just go right up to 45 feet. I certainly wouldn't want to go any higher than that. I think that that the public input we've gotten so far, that there have been so many cries for preserving views that going higher than 45 feet would just be completely ignoring everything that the public has been begging for, and that would be just irresponsible. Um, so I suppose that a 35, you know, a, a variance to 35 feet, 45 feet, case by case would be acceptable. Um, I don't know if I'm in line with what other people are saying, but I think that we haven't decided what the maximum height is in the bridge vist overlay. I said I was a proponent of 28 feet with exceptions of up to 35 feet. And in these special use districts, I think I would still be a proponent for a 28 foot max with exceptions of up to 35 foot and then with possibly a a max floor area ratio being able to go up to 45 feet. And, but I will say that the Cannery Pier Hotel is four feet tall. And the way four. it's- Four, 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 four stories. Four. What did I say, sorry. Four stories tall. <laughs> and because of the way it's placed and located and you know, it's on this historic pier, it has a very nice appearance, you know. I, I, I wouldn't argue that that building is too tall or too large or out of place or anything. So that's what kind of open-minded to the potential of getting up to 45 feet, but I really want to place limitations on how you get up to 45 feet. So I know that was kind of wordy and impaired, but that was my attempt to answer your questions, and that's all I have to say right now. <laughs> all right. That made complete sense. Commissioner Price, do you have similar feelings? Or? Um, well, sort of. I I don't see a need to go to 45 feet. In fact, I'm, I'm still I'm, I'm rethinking the 28 with variance to 35 on the floor to area ratio. I think I'd, I'd like to know more about that and think about that. But I, I the only it's not just 45. It's not just the height. It's the um, appropriateness for the area. I mean there. There are some notable exceptions, but they are not, they are negatively notable exceptions to 35 feet. Um, the, the, the notable positive exception to a 45 foot building is Astro Hotel, which was built in what, 1924 or something? It's, you know, so, and it's beautiful. And we're not going to get anything like that in Uniontown along the river. So the only reason for additional height would be to try to squeeze in a hotel because there's no need to have, I mean, what, what's down there that needs to be higher than 35 feet? Nothing. And it also just doesn't fit with, with Uniontown. It doesn't fit with Astoria. 
Um, I, it, it leads me back to something that was said earlier. First, uh, uh, Chris Farrar said, you know, you need to look to the vision of Astoria. Well, it's like, what is the vision of Astoria? One has never been stated. And, and then um, um, Steve Fix said, you know, get back to your, you know, think back on your principles. What are your principles? Well, we haven't really talked about that either. So, that's a big strategic discussion, but again, just back, to, I don't see any need to, to have a variance to 45 feet. I, I think, again, a master plan would be lovely. Let's see what people want to do, but I don't, I don't think additional height is really what's needed. I don't think it's needed or appropriate. Okay. Thank you, Commissioner Price. Commissioner Corporate. Uh, yes, I'm going to stick in the bridge vista overlay zone, which is for the vista of the bridge, which with, with my 35, what a 35 foot max, I would say. Although uh, Commissioner Henry's idea of a Florida aerial ratio going above that 35 foot max might have some saliency. Um, and as direction, also, um, I like the idea of the planned unit in this 12-acre parcel. I think it's a, it makes sense for that to have a planned unit development. Uh, I would like the, the, the inspiration is for intimacy and visibility and connection to the river. And if a planned unit development can come up with that without sort of parallel 90-foot lots or something, I would be open to that kind of proposal at the time. So I guess to answer your specific question, yes, in the planned unit development, I'm gonna hold 35 foot as the max. If we can come up with some other language about the Florida area ratios, I'm flexible on that. And I think that's all. Thank you, Commissioner Corcoran. Uh, I'm fine with 35 feet with a 45 foot with the variance that I would like to have um, a reason for that. Um, Besides a hotel, I, I believe that there are needs, water-dependent needs out there that I don't understand why they would need to go 45 feet, but I believe that Mr. Pick would understand, uh, or other people in the fishing industry would understand why you would need to go that high. We're talking about the plan districts, correct? Right now, we're just the Astoria yeah. So, isn't the impetus for having a plan district given the ability for them to have a variance up to a specific height above what the the, the basic district would be, correct? It's so, one idea. It's other things that could come into play too. Height's not the only thing. I understand that, but, but that's that, probably that is, that is probably common. the most common. So, for us to do a plan district. When it makes sense for us to then simply say that they can't go above a 35 foot. So I, I'm in agreement with the, the variance up to 45, if if that's if that's uh, clear. And and the other commissioners who were saying that they wouldn't go wouldn't want to go above 35. My question to them would be, isn't that the main reason to to do a plan district for those specific sites? Can I respond to that? Well, I, I kind of had the impression that the in the story warehousing and planning district, the problem was this giant parcel where they needed um, to have some ability to work with 
mat the mass uh, in that in that giant parcel, whereas in the um, in the pier, you know, treating that as a separate district. I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole with that, but just that actually height might be more of a concern there, where mass was a little more of a concern in the, the story warehousing. So. Is that, <coughs> that was the big issue that came up with Surrey Warehousing was the 30,000 square foot maximum. Right. That was a, a big issue. Of course, height is going to be one that everyone's going to bring up. Yeah, everyone's interested in height, but it, you know, I feel like they need to be treated differently in terms of which one is has height limitations and which one has mass limitations. I mean, maybe they need to have the same rules, but maybe they don't. Commissioner Fitzpatrick. So one, one more uh, question um, for staff, just to clarify. Uh, so these plan districts, realistically, it's just the variances that will be allowed within these plan districts compared to what the regular, the other zone would be. No. A plan district could set a height difference. So let's say your height is 28 foot in the bridge vista with the ability to go to a variance to 35 a planning district could come in and just say, we want 0.5 as the outright use, outright height. That's what they would have to ask and you'd have to work through all of that at the time and determine what you want. It wouldn't be a variance, it would be changing the code for what's allowed. Yeah, so I, it's only because of this discussion everyone's talking about putting limits on the ability for them to actually request that. So, yes. so what, remember, what we're only, only thing that we are talking about right now is setting the parameters what for what could be requested is, is what we're looking at right now. But again, as a part of this planning process, it does I mean, when we say the, I want to maybe we start even not saying the, the term variance when it comes to uh, anything associated with the plan areas, we can call them exceptions. Um, to be able to differentiate between a variance is truly that, a variance which comes either to planning commission or is approved by staff, and there's another process by which maybe an exception is granted during the plan, the, you, know, you know, the planning process, uh, the plan development process, but through the code amendment that you're working on right now, you can say, we don't want anything requested above 35, 45, whatever feet. And we're, we're making it clear to the people asking for the districts what we expect to see or, or do not expect to see in that district. So that they don't come back and... Well, I agree. No, I'm, 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 in agreement. I'm in agreement with that. So that is to say that we should, there have to have the ability to go over a particular height. It sounds like some of the other commissioners were saying they, in this plan district, they didn't think they should go over 35, and we would put that. Um, but well, here's here's one reason why I, I came down on not increasing height is because in the um, in in the current uh, code for the Bridge Vista Overlay District, as was said after after the Fairfield Inn was like. Would you, you know, really even expect? I mean, we have these uh, height and mass limitations, but we really didn't expect that everybody would come in and build to the absolute maximum. Well, now we know 
that uh, you know developers want to make their money, and we should just expect that they're going to come in and build to the maximum. You know, if you have the ability to build a 45 foot, 90, 100 foot, you know, whatever you have the ability to build, the bigger you build it, the, the better your return is likely to be. So. Uh, so I think that's really what you should be thinking about is that whatever we put in this code, wherever it is developable, that's likely what's going to be there. And so, so, uh, so allowing all of this, you know, having all of this development to begin with and then saying, okay, it can be bigger, 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 just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And maybe, maybe if, if there were a majority who believe the way I believe it, then there would be no need for a master plan. Because you would just, these these are the limits, live with them. Which many communities do, and quite successfully. That's run kind of with the hybrid of allowing the master plan, but having the 35 foot height be a hard message for, you know, for the plan to, currently there are 28 in that particular space, so this would be an additional height, come up with a creative solution with even more height than now, in a way that, and for me, the, the enduring values that go along with the height are the intimate connection with the river that the Bridge Vista overlay is evoking. Um, so that would be my message, if we were to give any kind of cap or maximums, um, it would be for that 35 foot height. Um, for, I guess for that purpose, to try to keep the, the initial plan to come in at a reasonable height. So we're starting from a reasonable height with variances, not uh, a greater height. Is that particularly muddy? So are you um, You're saying variances, not just a lot Sorry, exceptions. No, that's what that, Are you saying variance or exception? Um, I would like to. I would like to have the. I would like to have the sense of a plan unit development working under 35 feet as they develop the plan. Okay. For for the where story warehouse. Correct. I agree with that. I think the story warehousing site is such a big parcel that it should have a, a, a lower height limitation. We shouldn't just be going up to 45 feet. And then that would be the parameter within which a plan would come to the commission and then the city council for the process that you described. A pretty vigorous process, it sounded like to me. Leonard Johnson, are you comfortable with the information that you have, or is there more you'd like to? I think I have enough on the height and the mass and the story warehousing one to come up with something. And then the last one would be the port and the same discussion. Do you want to? Uh, have some additional restrictions, like here, up here, you know, 35, or variances, exceptions. Uh, <coughs> the court, I had put down that we've already got the allowable uses, so they couldn't come in for additional uses. Um, whether or not to put a building maximum or nothing, whether you want to go to 45 or keep it 35. And if you're looking for something similar in nature, I mean, yeah. Um, then you know that's 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 also doable, right? Yeah, if you wanted the same as the story warehousing, or if you want to go a little bit higher at and again, remember we're talking about keeping that pedestrian zone, the pedestrian code. So that area would be restricted. Where they would go higher would be basically the River Trail Inn, the Chinook Building, um, the parking lot. A store, uh, Ocean Beauty, 
So we're not talking about a large area there. Um, I would err on consistency. I would stick with the 35 for that as well. Stead, so that would still be the maximum for the port area. So are we pretty much in agreement? So it would be similar? I'm still fine with 45 feet if they come in with something that is, uh, that we, you know, we would approve in the master plan. The whole point of allowing more is to open up more opportunity and, and be presented with more options. If, um, as Commissioner Price says, that if height brings more dollars in, then there's more potential for development, but they still got to get it through. They're, they're not going to come shove a 45 feet building down our throats if we don't want it. Uh, if we have the option to say no, which you know has been a problem in other situations, but in this particular type of situation, we can just say no if we don't like the 45 foot building that's proposed. But I'm a minority on that height, so. I might agree with, with you, Commissioner Moore. Um, I just would really want to see restrictions on the widths and the, um, the, the masses of, of the buildings because I admit I'm a little more familiar with the views from Alameda than I am with the views over the Storia Warehousing site. But Alameda is pretty low, and I, I just think of all the properties that would be impacted if, if we put buildings that are too large, new buildings that are too large on the core property. But I feel like there are a lot of funny shaped lots and a lot of constraints, and allowing kind of a swap for height and width might, might be okay to propose on that. Um, I still would probably like to see a maximum width parallel to the river, but um, so similar to what you suggested, that rather than parallel to Marine Drive, parallel to the river, or, or maybe just parallel to Marine Drive, I guess that would work. They're, they're pretty much parallel right there. So and it doesn't have to be fronting Marine Drive, but just parallel to Marine Drive in the whole, in the whole district. <coughs> Mr. President, may I make one more offer to the Commission of something to consider? Um, uh, I think I would like to see a sunset provision on these um, plan districts. And if they're not executed over a certain period of time, then they evaporate uh, I, or are renewed. So say, uh, you know, four to six years from now, they come up for renewal, and we can just choose to say it's no longer an option because there hasn't been any progress. Let's just go with what we have. Well, we have a different director now who we don't trust or something. <laughs> Whatever, who knows? <laughs> or, you know, the situation in the town has changed substantially, and, and uh, we might not have a need for that anymore. Just so it's not left open at infinitum. I yeah. like the idea. Yeah, I like the idea too. It'd be good to get some data on what the provision should be. I know a master planning process can take time, and we want to make sure we give the owners, the current owners and managers and directors, a workable period of time. Don't close that window too soon. Right. Okay. Um, and you remind me, Commissioner Moore, of something that we talked about previously, which is also, I think, 
more important for the warehousing area than for the port area, which is public property, is access, public access. Because if you look at um, the Bridgeview area, they're, they're just massive areas where there's no public access to the Riverwalk. And given some of the changes that are coming with uh, the Uniontown Reborn, the lack of parking in general in that area, you know, you don't want there to be hundreds and hundreds of feet, hundreds and hundreds of feet where you can't even get to the um, to the Riverwalk from Marine Drive, for instance. So uh, I don't know how you do that with private property. Um, but that, I think it's something to think about and, and maybe to think about more in terms of really looking at this area. What, what is the public access to the Riverwalk? And how can we provide more? In the port area, you have a couple of streets, you have the river trails, uh, you have some city-owned property, there's different things. But the story of warehousing is true from uh, basically Columbia Avenue to 2nd. There's no right away. Can we add as a provision to the um, the plan district that a public access easement is required for part of? I mean, I don't want to keep piling on, but yeah, there's there's start getting some yeah some other issues come into play when you start dealing with with dedications and sure. those types of issues. That's be addressed during the master planning review stage, right? Yeah. So get, right. get into kind of those planning specifics at the site level in the master planning review process. Yeah, it's something we'll have to take a look at and dig into a little bit more. That's that's an could be a take case we have to look at some of those. Because you're you've got to have a reason a nexus for requiring public facilities on private property. But if we're giving one thing to take something else away, that's a possibility because you know, you're saying these are the codes, we'll allow you an exception to that code if you give us this. So we'll look into it more. Remarks from staff. Well, I think I'm totally. Somehow I will try to make sense out of all of this because there was no full consensus. So I'm trying to come up with something that I, I think is where most of you are going, or the majority. And then if you don't like what we have, we can always keep changing because uh, it's still draft. But I will try to get up something out to you in draft for some comments back before the meeting and let you know. And time before the meeting. Yeah, get it out to the commission, you know, if we can get be able to be able to digest and answer any questions. Okay, so I would be ready to continue the meeting as long as we have a time and date certain to which it can be continued. So it's June 25th. Yeah, the same uh, at 6 30. <laughs> yeah, we'll need that amount of time to do that. And uh, there'll be interest from some of the parties here or through the Okay. So we will continue the hearing until June 25th. <laughs>
in hopefully this location. Reports of officers. Does anyone have anything that they would like to share? Seeing none, a couple of comments as we have to deal with it. Oh, I'm sorry, did I miss one? Okay, so public comment, we would open up for public comment on non-agenda items. In other words, nothing that was spoken about this evening in either the Planning Commission or safety. Seeing none, we are adjourned. For the record, it is 10, 12 p.m. Seeing none,